The minute you walked in the joint, I could see you were a man of distinction, a real podcaster. All right, there we go. There we go. Bump, bump, bump out. Is that what you wanted, Ben? As the opening? Yeah. I kind of wanted you more to do the Sammy D speech. The whole speech? I the mean, whole no. Speech. No, don't you do it. No, 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 no. Put that down. Put that down. No, we're it's not a challenge. doing challenge. I'm looking at my phone. No, no, put that down. <laughs> David's eyes are turning. I'm not away. interested. In no, no, no. No, we're keeping this one on track. <laughs> they we're keeping this one on track? Yes. Well, this is a famously lean, mm-hmm. concise, focused. Stripped down movie. Just yeah. realized we need to check a 60s box office game, right? Yes, oh, right. yes, we yeah, do. Yeah. Okay. Welcome people to the show. Come on. What if this is someone's first episode? Jesus. Embarrassing. Wow, this place sure is full of podcasts. I'm the only one in here I've never heard of. Yeah, that's good. I like wow. that. That's a good that's Look at some of the dialogue lines. Incredible yeah. line in the movie. It's that's a great a really line in the movie. funny line in the movie. And you think it's not as good of a line on this podcast when I say it? This room is full of podcasts is not something that, like, Makes the most sense in the world. Hey, podcaster. <laughs> yeah, there you go. That's what right. I thought you were going to do. Look, this is a, a podcast. Mm-hmm. You could tell from the minute we walked in the joint. <laughs> yeah. Uh-huh. That this was a podcast, right? We are three podcasters. It's called Blank Check with Griffin and David. I'm Griffin. I'm David. And I'm the producer. Hi, my name is Ben. I don't know if that's ever been said. He before. spoke on mic, so he did have to. He had to explain himself. But also, yeah. I don't know if you've ever said it as "I am the producer." Hello, my name is Ben, and split them up like that. Well, the thing is, is that maybe if you're a new listener, this is a clean entry point. It's a clean entry point. Clean entry point. And you just know me as Ben, and I'm the producer. Yeah, that's all you need to know. That's it. There's no other baggage. Nope. Producer Ben. Nope. Producer Ben. Didn't you hear David? He said lean. I mean, it's the first of it's a guestless episode. I think I can allow it. Hey, meat lover. All right. No, you got to do it faster. Though. You can't. When you take pauses, <laughs> that's yeah, ridiculous. Yeah. Fuckmaster tiebreaker. Yes. The Futzer. The fu- that's a new the one. Voice of Reason. Wishful Ben. Sure. Santa Hoss. Santa Hoss. I don't have the full list in front. No. I'm just pulling some from memory. Yeah, just do some from memory. Not Professor Crispy. No. He has graduated to a series of different nicknames over the course of different miniseries, mm. such as Producer Ben Kenobi, Kylo Ben, Ben I Shyamalan. Ben say it. Save anything. Dot dot dot. Mm-hmm. Warhouse. Ben nineteen. Uh 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 uh. Fuck. Uh, Cameron. What's James Cameron. James Cameron is. It's a very obvious one. Oh, Ailey Ben's with a dollar sign. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. God, remember when we thought this was going to be a clean entry point episode? <laughs> yeah, I know. It's getting further and further yeah, ben away. Ben the fennel maker. He drank Ben Hosley. Uh, fucking. I'm going. I'm freestyling now. Order, the yeah. Miyazaki one is the one that's wild. Uh, the wild. Nausicaa of the Hitch of the Jersey. Ditch. Ditch of the Jersey. Uh, Hitch. Another nickname we have for Ben is Hitch. No, that's not one. The no. cure for the modern man. Nope. We call him the cure for the modern man. No, we don't. Yeah, we Keep do. Going. No, we've never done that. We're going to do it right now. Anyway, it's Bronco Hosley. What's Bronco up? Hosley. You, you, come on, there's a lot more. Banglish. Okay. Uh huh. Beetle vape juice. Yes. The Hosliday. Well. Public Benemies. Of course. Stop making Ben's. Yes. Hos big in the city. Uh huh. Ben Hosley met Sally. Da, da, da. Secret life of Ben's. Uh huh. That's a really really bad one. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Uh, uh, Ben's we in need the to Hoss. think of a better one for that. 
Mm-hmm. Ben's in the Haas. Ben's in the Haas. The Haas break kid opened uh-huh. a punch up. Apparently, Ben escaped from New Haas. What? I don't know. That's terrible. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, they, Bronco Hosley is good. Bronco, Bronco Hosley is really is good. And what's his Sam Raimi one? Someone had a really good. Um, God damn it! Well, the obvious thing was uh, Spider Ben three. No, that's not the obvious. But then, thing. an homage to Ben's request that we nickname that series. No, it's Spider- Oz the Great and Powerful. That's what it is. Yeah, it That's has to what be it that. Is. Yes. Give him an Oz nickname? Yes, Oz the Great and Powerful. I was going to say, in homage to when Ben suggested that we call that miniseries Spider-Pod 3 cast, <laughs> that the nickname is Spider-Ben 3 Hosley. No, it's Oz the Great no, and Powerful. No, it's, it's, that one's just too and clean. The, and you're too into that. You're like, we have to pay homage to Ben's think, stupid suggestions. No, like, no, 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 we it's don't. It's actually pretty funny and smart. Mm-hmm. Um, no, Haas the Great and Powerful is good because Fine. one, it sounds like the thing. It does sound And two, good. he is great. Okay, and you know powerful. what? Fine. I'm powerful. I'm just going to sometimes <laughs> off my column, Spider-Ben 3-Pot. Yeah, Hosley. Those are all his nicknames. Welcome anyway, we did show. that. So Look, welcome to Blank Check. Move it Do the rest maybe. of the it's spiel. It's a podcast about filmographies. Yeah. Directors who have massive success early on in their careers and are given a series of blank checks to make whatever crazy passion projects they want. Mm-hmm. Sometimes those checks clear. Sometimes they bounce, baby. Dun, 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 dun. This is a huge opening bounce. It is. A rare, the rare opening flop. Yeah. Yeah. Maybe you make a little movie that no one sees, but to make a big movie that was a flop and then have a successful career. Yes. Unusual. Yeah. And also he falls into this category. Uh, we've covered a couple directors like this before, uh, namely um, uh, Efron sure. and Elaine May. But yeah. people who had a lot of success in a slightly different yeah. role. Yeah. So their first film is viewed with a lot more anticipation, uh, a lot more expectation. He was given a long fucking leash on this movie. Uh-huh. We're talking about Bob Fosse. Bob Fosse! And I believe David's doing the hands. Yeah. I believe this miniseries is called Pod That Cast. Yeah, so he thinks it's called Pod That Cast, but mm. it's, there's Z's. C-A-Z-Z-T. And I think it should be Pod That Jazz Cast. Pod That Jazz Cast. Just because I think jazz is a good word. Yeah. The other option is Podcast Beret. Yeah, I mean. <laughs> option <sure>. two, David <laughs> wins. <laughs> option two, David wins? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Pod That Jazz Cast? Pod That Jazz Cast, which is what you put in an email subject line to one of our future guests. I know, but I, I, what did I put in brackets after that? You said working title. I said working title, and then I did a punch up. I came with pod that cast. Punch down. Uh, at least it's a punch sideways. At least it's a lateral punch. It's a clean no, side punch. No, you're like those bad comedians. You were punching down. <laughs> oh, no. <laughs> David's using his hands a lot this episode. First, he had Fosse Jazz hands. Now he's giving me the <laughs> wagging finger. You to Kembe, and then I did a punch <laughs> down. Did pod that jazz cast. I mean, if you really hate it, I'll give you pod that cast. I think it just, it doesn't sound uh, like you're, you can't pod hear the Z's. Cast. It's hard to you hear You have to them. pronounce it. It's about performance. Pod that cast. Pod that know. cast. I think he's struggling. He's really struggling. <laughs> struggling? Listen, my clean delivery. And pod that cast. It's funny. It's all that jazz, of course, is a song mm-hmm. in Chicago, yes. the musical, which he never did film. But also, he no. made a movie called All That Jazz. He did. Referencing that song. And he did uh, Chicago on Broadway. He sure did. Yeah. But he never filmed it. No. 
because he was he was sitting there and he was like, Marshall's gonna need this one. And they were like, Who? He was like, You'll see. Frankie. No, not Frankie. Rob Marshall. Oh, Jesus Christ. Jesus. Frank Marshall. Yeah, Frank Marshall if made Frank Marshall. <laughs> coming off of arachnophobia or something yeah. made Chicago. That'd be interesting. Following up Congo with <laughs> Exactly. Chicago. Right. Uh no. Um, all that jazz. Paul, I, I'm sorry, Ben, you have to make a decision. Griff is gonna be annoying about this. Yeah. For every episode, he's going to be like, it's called Pod That Jazz Cast. Pod I was overruled cast. by a jury of my peers. I know, blah, I know. Blah. And it's all riding he's on me right Mario now. Mario Van Peebles, like, rated X by an all-white jury. Like, you know how he did that? That's what Griff's going to do. about Pod the That Cast. Yeah, I, I've seen you do it three times now. Three, <laughs> <laughs> and you missed a couple. Yeah, he's done it a lot. <laughs> yeah, and every time I... It's it's You know what it is, too? It's hearing the nicknames and knowing that then we would have to revisit this title throughout the series. It's only five episodes. Only right? five. It's a clean five. Five and then a bonus. We'll do a Patreon. Sure. Yeah, we're yeah. Patreon. But the thing is, is there's a legacy to this. You have to think about your legacy. Ben's it's thinking true. about the legacy. You got to think, you got to think, you know, years ahead. Right. David wins. Wow. wow. I mean, and I wasn't even, well, it's okay. I'm happy. I'll take the victory. I'll take, take the victory. You got to take the W is where you get him. No, but look. <laughs> David throwing up a big dub. The hands, I can't much. He's inspired by Fosse. He's really using the fan, hands to express himself. The this spirit episode. of Bob. The hands. David's also wearing like a little cat, a little hat, a little like hat. tilted hat. Suddenly, way too horny, even by my standards. That's all in black. I, I mean, I'm not, but I'm wearing yeah. a black shirt. I'm wearing a congratulations. He's wearing shirt. congratulations hey. shirt. Look, Bob Fosse, one of my all-time favorite filmmakers. Someone I've talked about wanting to do. Since the beginning, he's probably been on our March Madness bracket like four times or kind something. Face plants every single yeah. time. <laughs> he does, and I don't know why. Apart from, I guess he's not you know quote unquote cool yeah. uh, these days but or something. I don't know. Or uh, it's a short filmography. Besides, right, it's one of my favorite people. It is just a fascinating fucking filmography. I agree. We've always wanted to do him, so yeah. we decided to do him, and now we're doing him. Now we're doing that. Him. Truly, is the story. Yeah. I mean, he's just like like him, Beatty, I guess Barbara Streisand. There's a few where it's like these little these little filmographies, right? Compact but fascinating. Yes, we've never you know we've always had them on the pile. Yes, now we're taking this one off the pile. Yeah, uh, and, and I'm doing too much hands. Excited stuff. to do it. This is the only movie of his I hadn't seen before. Same. No, have I? I don't. I don't know if I've seen Lenny. Oh, really? Maybe I've seen. In high school, I don't really. Let me was the one for me because I feel like uh, uh, '90s big Fosse revival period on Broadway because of of the success of the Chicago revival. Right, what you're saying, yeah. And then they do that Fosse the Review Show. Indeed, his name is floating around a lot. So I feel like as a kid growing up in New York City, I'm like Bob Fosse, some dance guy. You're walking down 37th Street, someone goes Fosse. Right. Whoa. Okay, get over yourself. (laughs) But what? There was everyone at Fosse fever. Oh, David's moved from hands to arms. Well, you know. Th- th- no, I know. Yeah, yeah, I know. Yeah. Uh, I was like musicals as a kid, but the Fosse thing, I was like, I don't get what this thing. What is this thing? I well, think especially as a, a child, kid, that's not like fun musical. Did he write the music? No, he was a choreographer. He was a director. The show's named after him? Is it his life story? No, it's like a review of his pieces. Yeah, if you were doing a show based on his life story, it wouldn't be on Broadway. It would be in the red light district. Remember being on vacation with my family? I don't remember where. And it might surprise you to hear that often my parents would be like, let's go to a museum. Sure. Go outside and I'd be like, there's a really good movie on TV in the hotel. I want to stay here. 
Would they leave you in the hotel? I guess it's, it depends on your age. Yeah. A certain age, they probably could just be like, you know what? Yeah. Yeah. But when I was like maybe 13 Mm. on vacation with my family, I saw Lenny on TV. Mm -hmm. It was, I was flipping through channels. Lenny comes on. I think I actually filibustered to stay and watch the entire thing. Or maybe then I rented it and watched it in whole. It was one of those movies where I watched like the first, like Lenny starts and the first three minutes, I was like, what the fuck is this? And my dad was like, this is a Lenny Bruce biopic directed by Bob Fosse. And I was like, the dance guy? My dad was like, Bob Fosse's secretly one of the best directors of all time. Good director. Low like, key, a good director. Really? You think that? And he's like, yeah. Bob Fosse's like really fucking dark. And I was like, Bob Fosse's dark? And that movie is such an unconventional biopic. Yes, that sure. That it still feels like more biopic should be pulling from. So then after that, I watched the other four. And was like, maybe I didn't see Star 80 until Yeah, I was going to say, you saw Star 80 as I a saw, teenager? I saw Cabaret maybe? and all that jazz pretty quickly after. Yeah. Uh, but I was just like, this guy fucking rules. Mm-hmm. I, I think this guy really actually, in, in a way few people can say, introduced some new things into like the filmic language. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Certainly the movie musical. No, I would say just, just the movie. The movie language. Movie, movies. It's sort of like the vertical editing style that sort of like then you know, Oliver Stone and other people take to the next level. But also like I would argue he was kind of the first guy to really sort of use editing as choreography, if that yeah, makes sense. baby, it does make sense. Right? Like, yeah. the beauty of all I mean, movie musicals was long take, sweeping cameras, this and that. Modern musicals, too much coverage, fucking five cuts, cut, every cut, cut. dance sequence cut to ribbons. It's just when meaningless. They're cutting on rhythm, but it's just, like, arbitrary. And with Fosse, the move from image to image feels like a dance in and of itself. He's doing doing freezes he's doing slow motion this movie it's fucking he does a lot of very interesting every technique the freeze frame thing in particular is fascinating because it's like you're doing the opposite of a musical now right you're telling me you're literally freezing an image and holding it this is a movie that i mean uh look we'll we'll dig into his life because uh jj birch our our beloved researcher did send us a message at like 3 a.m last night he's gonna take it easy i mean we we threw this at him late it wasn't all right it wasn't no it was it was 2 25 a.m yeah Ah, is that yeah jj you know this is right this will be the context heavy episode because bob fossey didn't make a movie till he was in his 40s he lived a life he said 45 42 years of a man's life in 17 pages Mm -hmm. and then jj's follow-up is if i can read this one thing I don't think I mentioned enough is that he was literally never not having sex with a ton of women that were not any of his three wives. I mean, look, I don't know. I guess you probably didn't watch Fosse Verdon. The, uh, I did. Oh, you did? I did. Okay. Well, I assume other people watched that too. Yeah. And that kind of, you know, that kind of relit maybe the, the understanding people had of this guy was a total horn dog who was always up to no good. Yeah. Right. Yes. After the Chicago revival, it was like, ah, oh, Bob Fosse, he had a bowler hat or something. What did he do? Jazz hands. Great. And then Fosse right. Burton was like, this man fucked 24 hours a day. He was no, he was, he was, he was a rascal. And had these like very uh, sort of unusual years long, emotionally tortuous relationships with these women who were his muses and his collaborators. And he seems like just a very stressful person to be around in general, I think. He was a man with a lot of demons, and that's why I think, you know, this is his one movie where he's sort of trying to play by the rules of the movie musical as it was known at that point in time. Sure. But also, he's he's throwing a lot of other shit on there, and he the movie musical is also maybe on its last legs, right? The classic music. Because yeah. when, when's Hello, Dolly? 
1969 as well, the same year yeah, as this. This and is that, the year where it's sort of like it's collapsing. Like, what are we doing here? We're spending a fortune on these right. like very, very like elaborate, pretty costumed musicals that right. are kind of long and audiences are like... Like, Fosse's putting all his shit into this movie, but he's also trying to do a musical that functions the way that audiences are used to movie musicals functioning largely. Yeah. And in Cabaret, he completely breaks the thing down and reconstructs it in one movie. But that's three years from now, of course. Right. And then everyone's like, Fosse, the musical guy, and he's like, what if I make, like, three back-to-back-to-back biopics of, like, the darkest, most haunted... I mean, all that jazz is kind of a musical. It is, but another very weird, very unconventional it's musical. Such a good movie. Yeah. I mean, just an absurd blank check where, like, Ben was talking about... It's not kind of. It is a musical. But it's a... It's an odd version of a musical. It's semi-autobiographical. Ben, you were talking about the legacy, right? Yeah. The, the, not wanting to call this miniseries podcast because of the legacy it will leave behind, right? Yes. I've been watching a lot of old Fosse interviews, mm. uh, as opposed to the recent ones. The recent interviews aren't as good. No, he was on Marin, but it was weird. It was weird. He got allergic to the cats. And, yeah, no, I don't know, and yeah. just a lot of dead silence. Yeah. Uh, there was one after uh, All That Jazz came out or when it was about to come out where they were asking him the thing that everyone asked him at the time, which is like, you made this movie about you dying? Mm-hmm. Like you had a near-death experience and then you made a movie that, spoiler alert, is about the death, the thing killing you? Yeah. Are you like trying to control your own legacy? Are you like trying to get ahead of it? And he did, he said like, it, I mean, that's it, any of this shit. Mm. What are you talking about? Anyone who makes a movie is trying to outlive themselves sure they're trying to leave something behind yeah and he he made a lot of movies about people who are like struggling to figure out what they leave behind and the impact they make on the world and all these sorts of things before that he made a movie about a, a lady named charity yeah charity just trying to figure shit out yeah charity what is her she says her full name and now i can't find it charity hope valentine there you go good name right charity hope valentine this is so my kind of movie. What's the movie called? We haven't said it. Sweet Charity. Sweet Charity. Sweet but, Charity. Um, Adventures of a Girl Who ba, Wanted ba, to Be Loved. Ba. Just trying to make it in the city. Yep. On That's your you. own. That's, that is my it's kind, kind of, of story. It's favorite sort of movie. I really love it. I, yeah. This movie is great, man. David, as you put on Letterboxd, she seems like a good hang. She seems like a great hang. I feel like it's not enough, to, you know, devoted to this movie, in this movie, to how good a hang she is. Mm-hmm. People are always like, oh, Charity, what are you up to now? Oh, boy, what's going on? And I'm like, she's a good hang. People are like, you know what, Charity, you're a good hang. I mean, I think, look. Give me a song called You're a Good Hang. <laughs> you're a good hang. Sweet Charity. Bob Fosse, Robert Louis Fosse, to his friend. Let's call him Bobby. Uh, was born... In June 1927, on the north side of Chicago, his mm. parents Cy and Sadie. His dad's a, a a Hershey salesman, a traveling salesman for Hershey, which sounds a lot better than like if you're a traveling salesman for trumpets or you know aluminum say. siding or whatever. It's like I'm a traveling salesman. Get out! Of- Wait, I'm selling chocolate. Yeah. Oh, oh, okay. Come on in. I love chocolate. Let's maybe bring door to door chocolate bars back. Um, yes, his dad was a traveling salesman. Uh, his mother was an opera extra. Uh, he was the fifth of six children. He had double pneumonia when he was a little double. boy. And this is such a thing with yes. so many filmmakers. Yes. Especially back in the Scorsese. day. Scorsese being the one yeah. I'm thinking of, obviously, where it's yeah. like, what's their childhood? They got sick when they were a kid and they were always being coddled or they were always in the hospital yeah. or they were always they in bed They watched the world rest. outside from a window. And their mother took them to the pictures. Right. 
all the time. It's and they were like, oh my God, the pictures. Well, and I also think it is this thing that he always was sort of a, a weirdly sickly looking man. Yeah, yeah, he, yeah. He's not the sort of live, you know, strong dancer type that you might right, imagine. Despite yeah. being in, in good shape in that sense. And yeah. he obviously also had his vices of drinking and smoking obsessively and all of that. Sure. But I, I think it's a big thing you get into when you start digging into his early life was like, he so badly wanted to be Fred Astaire. Right. And people kind of kept on saying to him directly or indirectly, like, you're kind of creepy. You're really you're not reading as good at what right, you do, right, but you're right. not charming anyone in a clean, all-American showman kind of way. But as a little boy, he was a good boy. His mother coddled him while his brothers roughhoused outside. Mm-hmm. Uh, I was a good kid, so I had to be a good kid. You're trapped by your own publicity. That's the Fosse quote about himself. Very clever. Yeah. Uh, when he was nine, he took his sister, Patsy, to the Chicago Academy of Theater Arts because he had a crush on one of his sister's friends. And there he met Fred Weaver, his early mentor, who was the guy who got him into dancing. And he's like 13 at this time? He's nine. Jesus. Nine-year-old boy. So um, Fred Weaver's motto, apparently, remember this, there's always someone better than you. Remember that. You're not the best. There's always someone better than you, and everything's been done before. Anytime you learn about, like, classic Broadway dancers, yeah. it just sounds very intense. Yes. You know, like, it's just, it, it never sounds like anyone was having any fun with Gene Kelly or Fred Astaire. Or any of this. It's just like, no, this is 12 hours a day, sweating, you know, learning every step, uh, all that shit. Uh, another nice lady, Marguerite Comerford, taught him ballet. Mm-hmm. He kept his dancing that he was being taught secret, of course. Didn't want to be mocked by the boys. Didn't want to be mocked by the boys, so he would hide the tights and the ballet shoes. Mm-hmm. The boys, would, he said, would accept the tap. Sure. Yeah. Maybe the tumbling. Not the, not the ballet, not the tights. So what happens is, as you say, very young, he gets more into tap. He's not into ballet. He gets together a bunch of kids and they start doing shows, like reviews around town at like the YMCA or whatever, churches, right? He pretty quickly gets pulled into the, like the burlesque circuit. Um, yeah, well, right, I guess so. Like, cause it's, God, he signs a contract with Frank Weaver that gives him like 15% of his dancing earnings for 10 years when he's like a teenager. It's like the, the Rick Mackey deal. Oh my God. Um, so, uh, so he's working with uh, Charlie Grass. That's another mm-hmm. dancer who is more ballet. Fosse was more into tap. So they would do like interplay stuff, right? You know, one's doing one, one's doing the other. And they do kind of like acrobatics flipping off of each other or whatever. It's hard to describe dance. Uh, yes, it hard is. To, hard to, you know, uh, how to put all that. Um, it is funny, though, when you read this stuff, like, you know, a, a shittier biopic of someone like Bob Fosse would have a moment where someone does something by accident. And he goes like, wait a second, that's interesting. Yeah. Right. And suddenly the style is born. Right. Right. That there right. was some aha moment. But it really does feel like this guy was just seeing things from a slightly different angle from the beginning. Mm-hmm. And was just constantly adding new angles to things. But that's what, like, I'm not a dance expert. I yeah. enjoy dance, but I rarely attend, like, dance performances, right? I love Broadway musicals, and I love dancing in Broadway musicals, right. but I don't go to a lot of ballet or modern dance because I don't, I'm not good at Same. being, like, what they're recognizing, what's different about what they're doing or whatever. And so when you hear, like, oh, Bob Bossy invented this move, you're like, I guess now that you've told me that, I can see that. 
that that's different. I, but I'm not good yeah. at you no, know no, no, automatically. No, no, yeah. no. I mean, like uh, when I went to uh, uh, college very briefly, my best friend was a dancer. I'd go to those dance shows. I'd be like, I don't know how to judge this. I dated a dancer. I didn't know how to judge it. It, yeah, it's it, hard it's, to judge it. It's, right. a, it's an embarrassing. I'm not judge it like good bad. No, but I, I know would what just you mean. Be like. If I'm watching dance as part of a narrative, I fucking love it. As you said, I fucking love watching dancing in musicals. And if I'm just watching a top to bottom dance show, I'm too much of a dummy to fucking understand what's going on. That having said, Fosse style dancing always chumps out to me. It certainly does. That is very true. Yes. There's an aggressiveness. There is a darkness. I don't know. Yeah. Nelly, um, my girlfriend, musical theater person, you know, went to college for that stuff yeah she really i think put or i just um, i'll read here um how she sort of encapsulated his approach to dance it's based in small isolations isolations meaning isolating the movement of just a hip or hand or shoulder like everything being still but one movement the focus on one part of the body Mm -hmm. and i really see that in this film, and I haven't seen any of his other films, but... Look, we're three guys who admit we don't know about dance, so I'm sure we're going to step in it and try to talk about these things. But I do think there's that weird, uh, sometimes staccato nature to the Fosse thing. Mm. It's like really, it's like just hitting the shoulder, but then that right. opens itself to your hip, right. but then the that opens to your right. leg, yeah. but it's oh, it's not... It's not like fly girl, every limb is moving at the same time. It's not a fluid, graceful thing. It's like there'll be moments of fluidity that end abruptly. Yeah, it's very like jerky, jerky, stiff kind of. He starts, well, I guess this comes later, but like he loves doing the hand shit they talk about. A lot of jazz hands. He just fucking loves the hands. And they're like, keep them on your fucking, keep your finger. And he just couldn't stop splaying them out. He always was self-conscious they didn't have good hands and was wearing gloves at a very young age because he thought his hands were ugly. I'm sure he had very nice hands. He hated his hands. Maybe I'm he had, you. What if I like saw a picture of his hands and I was like, Whoa. Jesus fucking Christ. Anyway, as you mentioned, a 13-year-old Fosse mm-hmm. and his partner, uh, Charlie Grass, I think that's the name, right? Yeah, Charlie Grass. Yes. Made their debut professionally with an 11-minute performance in 1940 at the Oak Theater. So mm-hmm. that, was, that was his first, I guess, pro credit. Uh, they get to be... Mildly successful. Mm-hmm. Weaver is driving him around. You know, they're getting on trains even. Despite all of this, he kept it secret from his friends. People thought he was gay, yeah. I guess. It's 1940, you know, like whatever. You know, what would, what would one might imagine for a 1940s kid getting into tap and ballet? But there, I, I mean, it does feel like a part of the formation of the Fosse style is trying to find a way to make dancing hypersexual sure yeah yeah yeah. right no you're right defensive you know sort of like yeah as you also mentioned he you know starts dancing in burlesque clubs Mm -hmm. he basically says i can romanticize it but it was an awful life i was lonely i was scared you're in hotel rooms 13 or 14 he was basically i would say sexually assaulted by older women like you know uh, odd relationship sexuality is formed in these years yeah, I mean, I think we'll get into it more, but like, you know, just, yeah, like sexual encounters at way too young an age where he clearly had no idea what was going on. And yes. Yes. just exposure to a lot of adult stuff. You're behind the scenes. Yeah. At these, like very seedy for the time clubs right, as well. Sure. And it's a it's an unseemly element. Boozing, smoking. Boozing. Yeah. If, if you are attempting to be an entertainer, this is the space where you don't want to end up. Right. Yeah. This is either like you couldn't make it in the legit clean world of entertainment 
or this is where you start and you move past. And I think Fosse kept a foot there always. He could never totally shake it. It's probably because he was in it at such a formative age. I mean, his whole identity was shaped around these people. In 1945, he is drafted to serve in the United States military because there's a war on. I don't know if you know about this. Yes. What one? World War II. Oh, there was a there was a sequel. <laughs> World War Two. See, this, um, they've always been doing fucking sequels. Yeah, People like to claim like it's a modern pox, but and they're probably you know like everyone's obsessed with franchises. They'll probably bring it back soon enough. But you know what? The next one they won't even call it World War Three. They'll give it a subtitle. <laughs> and let's 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 let's. I'll call it World World War Revolution. Yeah, it's World War. Like uh, World World Rising. Yeah, sure, yeah. Rising. Right. Salvation. Look. He requested to do entertainment stuff uh-huh. uh, as an 18, little 18-year-old 18 burlesque dancer might. Uh, he was, that was denied. But then luckily, as he joins boot camp, the war ends. Yeah. Because it's 1945. Uh, and so he did actually get kicked over to the Naval Liaison Unit where he uh, was uh, doing more just like touring and stuff, I guess. I, I don't know. Imagine you know. if they put on a combat train. They're like, it's taking this guy fucking 17 minutes to fire the gun. He's got to do this whole fucking rigmarole with the finger before he even... Throwing things in the air. What? <laughs> um, doing over your shoulder? The guy's in front of you. And so they... Sliding it down his back. They would do shows at bases all over the world. Guam. Yeah. Hawaii. Yeah. Okinawa. All yeah. the way to Tokyo. Uh, they would do sketches mm-hmm. with inside jokes. He would play girls in drag and so on. And he also um, eloped before leaving for war. Uh, oh, boy. The, that marriage was annulled. By his mother because they were both underage. Correct. Uh, so that doesn't even count as one of his three marriages. Right. That's the fourth bonus. Uh, yeah. That's not on main feed, that marriage. Uh, yeah. And also, supposedly, a stripper much older than Fosse showed up on his mother's doorstep saying she was pregnant with Fosse's uh, with son, son uh, JJ put song here by mistake, which is funny. And Weaver, quote, dealt with it. His mother dealt with it. Mm-hmm. Whatever that means, uh, we can imagine. And then he moves to New York. Yep. Live in the YMCA, mm-hmm. right near Broadway. Uh, and quickly he was cast as the dance lead in the national production of Call Me Mister with Buddy Hackett and Carl Reiner. He's just, you know, teaching him how to dance. Yep. He meets his first not an old wife. Yeah, Marion Niles, it. right. Right, who becomes the first sort of major female muse mentor toward relationship in his life, who I believe was 12 to 15 years his senior. He said he never even knew quite how much older she was than him, That's even after wild. they got married. Yeah. Back in the day, people didn't really know how old people were. Right. You could really just kind of be like, I'm 20. You could People really like, right. just kind of fuck around. <laughs> I'm not going to jack. IDs didn't have pictures. Yeah. Yeah. Just had a couple sentences. You're like, I don't know. You've got two eyes and nose. So they, they work together for yeah. brown hair or some shit. This thing says you have eyes. I can see you do. So yeah, that's good. All checks out here. Uh, he starts now working. Can I smoke on the plane? Of course you can, sir. Right this way. You know, then they move people to the back. Like, it was like, you could smoke on the plane, and then it was, the back couple rows are smoking. Yeah. That must have been bizarre, just this, like, little cloud, like, hanging at the back of the plane. Cool kids in the back. Yeah, sure. All right, so he's with Marion Niles, Uh but then they both get cast in a a Broadway production called Dance Me a Song, and that's where he meets Joan McCracken, Mm -hmm. who is wife 
two. Mm-hmm. And uh, I think that was a very exciting time for Bob Fosse and a very rough time for Marion Niles, mm-hmm. who was, uh, you know, losing her status as uh, the object of his affection. Sure. But then they start working with Dean uh, Dean Martin and Jerry Lewis on the Colgate Comedy Hour. I know. <sighs> Gotta bring that back. Colgate Comedy Hour? No, just like, networks should just be like, there's a toothpaste that's sponsoring an hour of entertainment for yeah. you, right? Like, just go all the way back to the beginning of television. Anyway, so they're dancing on the Colgate Comedy Hour, which must have just been absolutely the funniest fucking shit in the world. Toothpaste jokes. Yeah. Big toothbrush joke, you know? There's nothing better than that. A classic running sketch. Dean Martin lit <laughs> at 1 p.m. or whatever. But McCracken is like, you should be a choreographer, Bob. You're, you know, you're you're too good to be like a nightclub dancer or whatever McCracken this is. McCracken actually, I'm sorry, might be the one with the age difference I was thinking about. But he okay. says that she was the one. Yeah, she was 10 years older than him, yeah, okay. Joan McCracken. And, so, and yes, that's she your might have even. I'm sorry. I got to. You got it fucked up. And that's I, why I fucked up. That's why time. you got to you got to be you got to be put in the box. Put I me no in the idea. box. Yeah. Put me in the box. He, he said yes. That Joan she McCracken, was, an inspiration for Holly Golightly in Breakfast at Oh, wow. Um, no, this interview I watched the other night, it, it, he was saying that she was the first person who actually was like, your ambition should be much larger. Yes, exactly. Don't just dance. Come on, Bob. You're smart. You should be teaching people you how to dance. You should be designing everything. dance. Yeah. Exactly. 51, Bob Fosse gets the summer stock lead role in Pal Joey, a musical yes. that is very crucial to the Bob Fosse story. A good yes. show. Mm. One of those shows it's not really about much. It's kind of uh, like Sweet Charity. What if there was a guy called Joey, you know? He's a good pal. Yeah. Have you ever seen Pal Joey? They were great. I feel like they were reviving on Broadway I feel like there every was 20 a stalker years. Stalker Channing, Pal Joey, like 20 years ago. Am I wrong about that? Uh, let's see. Stalker Channing. Yeah, I'm yeah. seeing her. She played Vera in the night 2008 Broadway oh, okay. revival. Yeah. Uh, there's also, there was one in 95 with okay. Peter Gallagher. I remember that one. Yeah. Pal Joey. Can you imagine what Fosse Peter- could have done with those pussy willows? <laughs> <laughs> what are you gonna do? Ta- teasing him out? Just two two eyebrows doing Fosse movements. Put tap shoes on those things. You <laughs> good, yeah. You could have a, a, an eyebrow tap. tap yeah, that'd be good. MGM signs him at this point to a contract, so he's doing that. But he's also still doing Pal Joey. Right. He never actually got to play Pal Joey on Broadway. Yeah. He would play him nationally, sure. like on tours and stuff. And so, but, but MGM's like, let's, 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 let, right, let's like put you MGM in movies. They put him yeah. in Stanley Donan's Jumbo, mm-hmm. which I think, did that ever even happen? Or is that sort of like a film that actually, I think. Did? Am I wrong about that? I think that yeah, movie it did. Yeah, 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 yeah. yeah, yeah. But, um, yeah, but it's, a, a, it's a flop. Right. He was in another Stanley Donan movie, Give a Girl a Break. Okay. Um, because replacing Gene Kelly, who is getting too expensive. Uh-huh. But yeah, none of this stuff. Is good. He gets kind of his role gets kind of cut down. He wanted to be Fred Astaire. He wanted to be the sort of uh, hypermasculine, super charming, uh, confident, smooth leading man of musical theater. And everyone was like, ah. but the, the other thing is, it's like MGM is like Louis Mayer is dead. Yeah, like recently dead. Right. MGM is sort of well, we'll still be grand old MGM, but they don't like right. the, the ship is rudderless. The appetite for these kinds of movies is fading a little yes. bit, right? You know, like, it's not the golden era, I guess, anymore. I mean, I might be stepping, you know, a little bit ahead. But another thing is, he starts losing his hair very, very young, which is when the hats come into play. He, he does, that is why he's into the hats. 
It's why and I fucking Ben's giving both, look. both looking at me. I know. I'm just saying. But but he. It's also why he puts like all of his fucking actors in hats because he's like, yeah, we all wear hats. What are you talking about? We all wear hats. Are cool. <laughs> hey, sort of. Hats also, are cool. that was an era for balding men, Absolutely. where hats were also very. I think just like part of everyday yeah, of wear yes. more We've so than Mad it is. Men. Yes. Oh, oh right. Yes. And took the train. Those cuckoo crazy <laughs> ad guys and gals. The, the only successful kind of real mark he makes in this period is Kiss Me Kate. He's in Kiss Me Kate, and he's given a 45 minute, second minute, that'd be long, yeah. second segment that he can choreograph for himself. And you can see it, and it does feel very fossy. But he was kind of like, eh, you know, he's like, I've doing terrible out here but have, have either of you seen kiss me kate the movie probably nope. as a kid a uh, friend of not, the show not in a long time friend of the show joe garden and i went to see that about 10 years ago maybe at film form they did like uh in the post avatar 3d boon mm-hmm. film form did a whole festival of 3d movies yeah one of those classic posters where a guy is spanking a lady to teach her a lesson that's like the end of Act One where people are like, that's what holy happens. fucking it, shit. It's, it's the taming of the show. He spanks late and people are like standing up and hooting and hollering. It's a fucking Jerry Springer show audience. They, the film firm did a really great series of 3D. It's, it's a classic, uh, you know, red and blue 3D, right? Right. Yes, right. Yeah. But, but when all the sort of digital 3D technology was perfected in the 2000s, a lot of those movies were converted to be uh, able to be projected in digital 3D without the fucking color tinting and modern glasses and all that stuff so you could see it really clearly and everything. Yeah. And that movie is, like, really fun on a 3D level. It's right. cool to see a 3D musical. The film is just kind of, like, whatever. It feels so perfunctory. And then there are these 45 seconds where Bob Fosse comes out, and you're like, what the fuck just happened? Mm-hmm. It truly is. Mm-hmm. It's like the way I talked about the fucking uh, Anthony Lane's uh, Spider-Man 3 Sandman review, mm-hmm. where he's like, there's, like, a minute in the middle of this where you wouldn't rather be anywhere else in the world. Right. And the movie goes back to Stormer, and you're like, we're just going to pretend like that didn't fucking happen? And it's so well, because it's not just him as a performer, but it's also, like, him as an author, just completely changing the language, the energy, the vibe of the movie in 45 seconds. And there's clearly, like, he hits upon something. Where it's like, fuck, wait a second. Let me, what, maybe we're not using this guy the right way. Well, when the movie comes out, yeah. George Abbott, who's a big Broadway director, sees it and is like, like you, yeah. what's this? Who's yeah. this guy? Um, brings him in to do choreography for a musical he's got going called Seven and a Half Cents, which he cleverly retitled The Pajama Game because Seven and a Half Cents is a terrible title for a yeah. musical <laughs> or for anything, really. And so, I mean, you imagine people walk up seven and a half pennies and they're like no the ticket's a dollar they feel like a, they That's feel a good, like can i can i get one to seven and a half cents here's my seven cents and i broke one penny in half penny i assume half. that's how much it costs and they're like no you owe me a dollar and also good luck using that half penny on anything and the guy and with guys like well i got you now because it's sharp give me a ticket for free and, and then holding happened, the penny to his neck what happens next what does the guy say <laughs> the guy says the movie's called the pajama game i'll accept one set of pajamas oh he's like God. okay all right okay. show <laughs> yeah, cool. Uh, and he hands over some pajamas. Anyway, Jerome Robbins is working on the pajama game. Sure. This is a big break for Bob Fosse. He calls mm-hmm. his dad. He says, I'm choreographing the dances for a new show, an Abbott show. Dad says, what's choreograph? He says, I'm going to be making up the steps for the other dancers. The dad says, you're going to give away your steps? I'm not joking. That's, that's, that's the quote. Uh, give away your stuff. How old is he at this point? Like, 22? I mean, if it's 19, like, let's say like 54 or whatever. Yeah, he's like, yeah, early 20s, 23, yeah. 24. Yeah. Um, we sort of already lived a lifetime. 
Yeah, a little bit. That's crazy. But Intro this is, is all yeah. these, you know, like we we haven't covered older directors. Yeah. But you know, if we do, it is often it's like, yeah, they got their start at five, like, right. you know, working the Grand Ole Opry. He was sweeping up peanuts at the circus or whatever. Right? Like right. they're always yeah. Sidley Matt was like a child star and then he was like a TV director by like twelve. Right. And then- it was also a, a time in the world where you just had to grow up faster. Yeah, that's true. Yeah. That's true, Ben. Yeah. Well said. Thank you. Ben. I don't know what I'm doing. I'm very loose. (laughs) Standing up and doing a fossey. I'm very loose today. I don't know what's going on with me. Then they do a film adaptation Uh of the pajama game. Sure. So he kind of works on that. He's, I think he's just credited as like the choreographer or whatever, but that's like, he like, does a lot of but behind the scenes like the, of, he's learning how right. to make movies there. him making a big splash on broadway hollywood coming in to do the movie and either like hiring him to just do the choreography again or just pretty much running with everything he did he doesn't get to make the films no but he's, they're he's the all running off the juice of what he's sort of launched on broadway yeah pajama game is a good show uh-huh. um and he won a tony for doing the choreography of the pajama game so good for him mm-hmm. uh then he goes from Pajama Game to Damn Yankees, another classic. Right. Uh, Joan McCracken, I think, is at this point getting ill because mm-hmm. uh, she died in 61. They divorced a little before that, but she died uh, from the age of 43, fairly fairly young. Yeah. Um, so he's working on that. And who does he meet making Damn Gwen Yankees? Uh, whoop. His eye turns to a lady called Gwen Verdon, uh, who is an actress and dancer. And do you in know the this plot of Damien Yankees? Have you ever seen Damien Yankees? Yeah, do you know what Damien Yankees is about? I love no. Damien Yankees as a kid. I think a Damien Yankees movie is pretty fun. Uh, it is fun, yeah. and it makes sense that you liked it as a kid. Is it's it a high-concept musical. High. Does it have anything to do with the rock and roll supergroup featuring Bob Dylan, it, and Tom and Petty, uh, Ted Nugent? Wasn't Ted Nugent in it? Yeah, yeah exactly. Someone else. Uh, no, it doesn't. Oh, it doesn't have to do with that. Uh, okay. It to do with... It's Tommy Shaw, uh, Ted Nugent... Uh, Jack Blades. Anyway, it doesn't matter. Um, <laughs> um, no, it's basically like at the time it's set uh, during the fifties. Yeah, the, the, the contemporary time mm-hmm. when the Yankees are always the team that wins the pennant. Those damn New York Yankees. Oh, okay. sort of like and, the nineties around where people are like, it's no fun. Uh, the right. Yankees. And the Washington out. Senators, their basement dwellers, the worst team in baseball. And so they make a deal with the devil to to beat the Yankees. That sounds fun. I know. It's a good concept. Um, but, but what's funny is that it's also like the lead character is just a fan of the team. Yeah, right, right. It's, it's not, not like it's the not like management. management. The, right. the movie's not about like but the Yankees. What, you know, that's what that's Angels what's so in the Outfield is about as well. I know. It has to be a devoted right. fan. Right. Like he's just like these damn Yankees. I'd fucking do anything for them to win again. And then like a musical theater Satan shows up. He's <laughs> like hey, anything. I I. And now I'm thinking about Angels in the Outfield because like that's obviously that's an old movie, right? Right. And then they remade it in the '90s. This is Joseph Gordon-Levitt. Yeah, Joe. Right. Yeah. And I remember I saw it in the '90s, and the concept is like you know. Right, his like deadbeat dad is. He's like, Dad, when will you love me again? And the dad's like, uh, I don't know. When the angels win the pennant, right? Right. It's like yeah. something like correct, that. Correct. And he's like, Okay, I pray to the angels that the California angels, angels win the pennant. Come help. And then, like, I watched it and I was like, So the angels are so bad that this guy feels confident making this promise. Yeah. And then, like, I'm like, Why do you want your team to be associated with this movie? Like, that's all. I was just always confused. It's just the thing I find so funny. Like, why would the team be like, yeah, no, sure, sure. Yeah, the script looks good. Yeah, approve. Use our logos. That's fine. Our team is so shitty. 
that a deadbeat dad can be like, yeah, sure, kid. I never have to see this fucking kid again. Zero chance. You would literally need divine intervention. When I was a kid and I would look at the standings and if the angels were doing okay, I'd be like, I don't understand this. I Canonically, this team is bad. They, yeah. they, only, only divine intervention can help them. Yeah. Same with Damian Yankees, obviously. Uh, only, only Satan could help the Washington Senators. Mm-hmm. Uh, anyway, he has an affair with Gwen Verdon, okay? Sure. Well, he's making it. And uh, you know what else? He gets addicted to amphetamines, all right? Okay. You got a problem with that? <laughs> well, it was bound to happen sooner or later. I mean, the, the, you know, in those days, they were over the counter. You they get were. those greenies. Yeah. Dude, they would fucking give them to children to yeah. lose weight or whatever. Right. Yeah, they were, they were, you could get them easy. Oh, um, God, what a time. If I was alive, I'd be dead. <laughs> Probably. <laughs> <laughs> um, uh, and, and of course, Joe McCracken is also having like a total like health meltdown. Sure, like she's sure. dying. Yeah. And so she eventually was like put in an oxygen tank or put on an oxygen, you know, mm-hmm. and he would visit her. But apparently, like, eventually the visits were less and less. Uh-huh. He's, you know, obviously. They get divorced. They would. He would still call her, and they would have long conversations until her death in 1961. Yeah, but he's at that point, you know, getting with Gwen, who he married in 1960. Yeah, look. So uh, a year after the divorce. Luckily, we have an entire movie coming up about this that we will talk about. At so much goss. All of his so much with women. So much drama. Yeah. Uh, yes. He gets a chance to choreograph his hero Fred Astaire mm-hmm. in Funny Face. It falls apart. Contract negotiations. Okay. Fossey says, in retrospect, the dumbest thing that happened in my life. Hmm. He really wishes he had done that. Uh, he works on some other shows. The bells are ringing. New girl in town. I uh, thought he did a musical, or maybe that maybe it came later. The musical version of Conquering uh, Held Conquering that's Hero, indeed. Yes, which ran for eight productions only. Um, he was working on a Broadway adaptation of Preston Sturgis's movie Hail the Conquering Hero. Con- Not. The best known Sturgis, though. No, but but yeah, but good I think movie. it was a big hit at its time, and it's on on its face seems like very good material. It, it, it was for a kind musical. of a hit, it, and it is a good yeah, yeah right. It's I really think it lasted movie. less, but at the time it was kind of a big hit, right? Yeah, uh, and then he yes, he has a massive seizure, which he blames on a horseback accident, but actually it was because uh, pills. <laughs> didn't, he didn't have enough. Well, he was taking the pills while on horseback. That was yeah. right. Sure. Um, and because the show uh, w- was so chaotic, I think it yes, it only ran for like uh, yeah. it briefly. It was it was a famous bomb. Yeah, uh, he did also do emergency choreography for How to Succeed in Business Without Really Trying. Right. Yeah. Uh, he co-directed Sid Caesar in Little Me. He finally starred in Pal Joey on Broadway, mm-hmm. and then Sweet Charity comes along. First as a show, yeah, as a Broadway show, starring Gwen Verdon. Starring Gwen Verdon, who was in a musical called Redhead that he worked on. Mm-hmm. Um, and so him and Gwen Verdon are like, look, we're in love. I love drugs. I love you. I love dancing. Why don't we do a Broadway show yeah. that you'll star in, right? They'll pay us money, and I'll use that money to buy drugs. Nom, 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 <laughs> nom, nom, nom. Um, I don't know if that's what he said. Uh, so apologies to people who Apologies to really, everyone. I know. Terrible. Okay. They wanted. They think about uh, doing Chicago because mm-hmm. uh, Verdon did want to play Roxy Hart, mm-hmm. um, but that doesn't happen. They thought about doing a Breakfast at Tiffany's musical. Mm-hmm. Oh, speaking of, which weirdly doesn't happen for like sixty years, right? Have they done it? They did. Yeah. It, the the Amelia Clark production, I believe, was a musical. I, am I wrong about that? Amelia Clark. 
Amelia Clark did Breakfast at Tiffany's on Broadway, and I think that was the first time they made it a musical. Uh, horrible. Yeah, it did. It, yes, it's never really worked though. No. Apparently, yeah. Uh, yeah. Truman Capote eventually decides that Gwen Verdon is too old to play Holly Golightly, and then probably sarcastically pointed out she was actually based on your last wife. I know he doesn't talk like that. I can't do. He was actually based on your last one. There you go. It's pretty good. Then they think about doing Funny Girl, uh-huh. but Streisand gets that. Okay. Uh, they think about doing something called Berlin Stories, which of course will eventually turn into Cabaret, but that oh, never, sure. doesn't come, but doesn't happen. Sure. Not as good of a title, I would say. Yeah, Berlin Stories. Life and is then a series of Berlin stories. He remembered that he'd been told to watch Federico Fellini's Knights of mm. Carabira. Carabira. Cabiria. Cabiria. There you yes. go. Yes. I, always, I always get it wrong. Knights of Cabiria. Cabiria. That's a clean take for you. And so he went to see it at the Bleecker Street Cinema, RIP. And he shows it to Gwen Verdon and to some producers. And he's like, this is a musical. I mean, the Fellini movie is so colorful and yes. exciting and crazy. I mean, literally black and white, but yes. Pops. I, no, I, yes, yes, Zippy. yes, yes, yes. It is not an obvious It's not candidate. a thing where I would be like, oh, this is a musical. No, and it is a funny thing that like, Broadway has always. Everyone thinks this movie is too depressing to be a musical, yeah. to be clear, right. No, I was just going to say, Broadway's always been inundated with uh, uh, movie adaptations, right? Because now people yeah, go like, you know, fucking bro, what is it, Mrs. Delphi over here, Bill Juice over here, it's all the, the fucking movies. The difference is that, like, I think they were trading less on the name brand recognition of films, and the movies they were choosing to adapt into Broadway musicals were often more odd. There are obviously still examples of this. There are things like the band's visit where you're like, who would ever think to make a musical out of right. that? Yeah. And it fucking works and it's a big hit, right? Right. And often those things work better than the movies that are beloved and are too iconic. Sometimes it's a bad idea to do, right, right you know, Rocky. But this is a particularly odd choice of a movie to good. adapt into a Broadway musical. It's, it's not typical. Hmm? It wasn't good, the Rocky musical. Yeah. Okay. Um, you saw it? No. No, but it wasn't a hit or oh, whatever. Sure. It wasn't a huge hit. Um, it wasn't a knockout. How many rounds did it stay up for? All right. Okay, um, sorry. I'm sorry. Keep so losing comedy it was points. down for the count. Uh, <laughs> so Fosse's like, all right, all right, all right. It would be set in a dance hall. Wouldn't be about a prostitute, right? It can be about a, 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 a dancer, well, a, a taxi okay, dancer. So this was the fucking right. Right, a Tiffany's thing I was going to say. It's this era of like writing these. We can't say that right. she's a sex worker, but what kind of you imply? You write a romantic clef or you do a foreign film and you really get into it. And the American version comes up. You put it on stage. You put it on the big screen and they're like, she's just a lady with a lot of friends. <laughs> she bounces around from place to place. Breakfast at Tiffany's has that weird thing where like, because that's a movie that I think children watch sure. so often. You kind of like watch as a child and you're like, what is her deal? What is the thing here? I remember seeing it as a kid and being like, one, obviously the Mickey Rooney thing is completely insane. Even when you're a kid, you're like, this is completely insane. It's insane. It um, is truly insane. And I remember my mom being like, yeah, and this was like a comeback for him. Anyway. I know. Um, two, you're just sort of like, okay, she's a lady. you know. But you're mostly bored. And then at the end when she puts the cat in the street, yeah. you're me. I remember as a kid, I was like, oh. I was so compelled by that because it's so good when she yeah. banishes the cat and then she goes and gets the cat back. You know, when the fucking song's incredible. The song's great, right? But, you love but, that song. You're a real simp for Moon. Oh, River. I fucking love. I know Moon. you do. Moon River is like a top ten jam for me. I know. Um, but but yes, I think wisely like Fosse's like we have to like give her an actual equivalent 
uh, yeah, she needs occupation. to have a job that would not be a, uh, right. a job that would blend with high society. Because Knights of Kiberia is explicitly about a prostitute, Ben, who is not given any respect or love in the world. She's sort of a, uh, a Dangerfield-esque character, Rodney. And let's, <laughs> and let's say sex worker, too. Yes, yes, I'm you know? sorry. No, yes. it's okay. Correct. Yeah. But, but yes, it, it is sort of, he turns it into this more kind of like bubbly, modern woman, you know. But she's a taxi town. dancer, she's so, taxi you know. Dan- which she, is, by the way, an incredible, incredible good, job title. And she doesn't dance with you in a taxi. It's like she just sort of like functions like a taxi. You can rent her for a dance. Right. Is the idea. I believe that's where the title comes from. The Tokyo Vice has this oh, kind of this, similar... Yeah arrangement like right. where it's like a, a club where gentlemen just go and you can kind of have time with them and dance with them are truly about like companionship yeah yeah because right. the taxi dancing doesn't exist in the united states it does still exist in other countries yeah yeah it's like you know i mean obviously sometimes perhaps you know things go further deals are made what have you but the idea is explicitly like you are a lonely person mm-hmm. or you don't want to go back home to your wife too quickly you go there and you dance with someone, you pay the money and you pretend like you're a guy who is able to, you know, attract any woman from across the, the dance floor. Yeah. So they work on Sweet Charity with this concept. Mm-hmm. Obviously, he is drawing from his own life. Sure. Uh, in this sort of underbelly of dance, the dance world, mm-hmm. you know, for this. He hired Elaine May Ooh. to, I guess, pair with the show. I think the idea would be like, and the initial idea was that, like, the first act of the show was going to be Sweet Charity and the second act would be something else. So it would be like, and now we're done. And now Elaine May is here to do some comedy. Odd. Uh, and then she was like, I don't, you know, whatever. She hadn't made much progress on whatever he'd hired her to do. And he was like, you know what? Sweet Charity can be a two-act show. It can be a full sure. Broadway show. Sure. And, I don't know. The 60s are weird. Yeah. Uh, he finally gets Neil Simon aboard. Mm-hmm. Neil Simon works on the show. Um, that name sounds familiar. Yeah, you've heard of that guy. Yeah, he's um, he's done stuff a lot. He's done a lot of stuff. Big Broadway guy. If we ever do Mike Nichols, we're gonna have to talk a lot about Neil Simon, Herbert Ross, a lot uh, of Neil Simon. Yeah, sure. Let's do Herbert Ross. Let's That'd be great. Ross. What if we do Neil Simon on Patreon? As a franchise, which is a franchise. Just any adaptation of a Neil Simon thing? Yeah, it would take a quick three years. <laughs> yeah, that would take forever. Just, what, we, what if we just do the sweets? <laughs> uh, the sweet life of Griffin David? Yeah, exactly. That's what we call the series. Um, Fosse is credited as the writer initially under mm-hmm. a pseudonym called Bart Lewis, but eventually he gives cred- sole credit to Simon okay. to protect himself. If the musical failed, he didn't want to be seen as overreaching creatively. Gotcha. Okay. But you know, he didn't want yep. it to be like Bob Fosse presents a Bob Fosse show. Everything's good. Mm-hmm. And shortly before the musical premiered, Fosse called up Simon, said the ending was not dark enough. And Neil Simon was like, that's pretty funny because the ending's pretty dark. Yeah, I believe for the, a Broadway show. The uh, Knights of Kiberia ends with her getting pushed over the bridge again. Right. Right. Like Knights of Kiberia, it's full loop. It's oh, just like, you're just brutal. stuck in a fucking, like, it's like inside Lewin Davis. You're just um, repeating the same cycle over and over again. Yes. It do, Knights of Kiberia does have a similar ending to this in that she, except in this, she doesn't get pushed over the bridge, but 
She gets pushed over the bridge. She's walking back to town, sadly. And then she runs into a bunch of young people who are dancing. And they kind of like start doing a parade around her, which happens in every Pallini movie. People are always like just doing a parade around you. There's like clowns (laughs) blowing trumpets. And there's a little tear that goes down her face. And it's sort of like, yeah, Yeah. it's sort of a, you know, weird bittersweet melancholy ending. And you end and you go to you know, a French bistro and you were smoke cigarettes and you debate it. Yeah. I assume that's how it was seeing Fellini movies, I mean, right? The thing is, right. The Knights of Capuria is like one of Fellini's ultimate love Should we letters. do Fellini? Maybe. I have an idea for next year's bracket. We'll talk about it. <sighs> Jesus. Okay. Yeah. We'll talk about it in six months. Okay. Um, uh, but, 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 you know, Fellini famous wife guy. Uh, no, but that movie is like that and Lestrade are sort of the two ultimate sort of like love letters to his wife as a movie star. Right. right? There's something fascinating about Bob Fosse also now, Gwen Verdon, becoming, like, mm-hmm. the greatest muse of his career, I, I'd say, overall. And, like, similarly using this basic text to do the same thing for her. And when you read about the production, it, like, her performance is a thing that everyone fucking talks about. This is the whole thing with Bob Fosse, and it's, of course, I think, why that show did well to be called Fosse Verdon. It was yes. about the two of them. I think if you only engage with Bob Fosse movies mm-hmm. you are like god this guy was a singular genius yes. right and then like once you realize more about him you're like oh god like they were a pair and she was so crucial to everything he was doing like right. you know um but yes yeah no everyone said she was incredible uh she said making you know doing the show was absolutely exhausting because you know it's a very high energy character you. yeah. and you're on stage constantly yeah yeah so it was hard and she was getting old yeah by broadway star sure. standards um, and so the thing is in the sixties, there's two films in 64 and 65 mm-hmm. that are such hits that the musical kind of gets cool again. It had been on the downswing, but Mary Poppins and the sound, sound of, of music, music. Yeah. are such smash hits that uh, universal Pictures sweeps in and is like sweet charity. We'll buy the rights half a million dollars. You're going to make a movie. But then you have the run of, as, as you said, like Hello, Dolly, this Dr. Doolittle. Dr. Do like there's like this run of like colossal over budget. Right. They're kind of like collapsing under their own weight. Not right. this so much. Dr. No. Doolittle and Hello, Dolly are good yeah. examples for sure. Because this is a little leaner. Yeah. Well, and, and it's well way. directed and it's like yeah. you know, interesting. Yeah. Whereas Hello, Dolly is very staid. But also, this movie was like a fucking two and a half hour roadshow that people were like, what's the narrative thread of this that's, thing? Well, that's, I think right. people that's the were issue like, this movie has. Yes. yes. <laughs> yeah, it's tiring. Yes, it is. I had to watch it, I'll, I'll say, in three installments. There's literally really? an intermission. Yeah. There is an intermission. You yeah. could have used I mean, I, I, that's when I was like, okay, yeah. I'm going to break. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, it was great, but I, I had to pace myself. But um, yes, I there, through it. there is this weird Julie Andrews mm-hmm. created musical boon that doesn't really translate outside of Julie Andrews. Right, right. It's true. It and doesn't... these two very specific family musicals that are kind of like unreplicatable. Yes, I think that's true because the movie yeah. musical, well, I mean, it's Bob Fosse who makes it cool again, in fact, yeah. in the 70s, but... We'll I mean, get to that. You know, this was a, a stat I read last night. All That Jazz was the last musical nominated for Best Picture until Beauty and the Beast. Hmm. And then there wasn't another one until Moulin Rouge. Nah. So if you... Nah. We should be doing that. So if we... Everyone thought we were doing Boz. Everyone predicted we were doing Boz. We should do it. We, we'll do it. And we'll be legends. But uh, it, is, it is fascinating that like Cabaret winning Best Picture... 
doesn't start a yeah, like let's do more of if these anything, thing. We're like, how the fuck do we follow this? Mm. And mm. it's like he does another one. It's a tough act. And then no one fucking knows what to do with musicals until Baz Luhrmann, really. Mm. Like that's that Moulin Rouge is the first moment when people are like, oh, there's maybe like a new energy here. And then Chicago is so indebted to Fosse the following year, winning Best Picture. Well, you know what? Some of the other big musicals of the 70s are now that I'm looking. Obviously, there's Fiddler on the Roof, which is a similarly that's more in the old. That's 71, and that's more like Hello Dolly or whatever. It's very long, sure. very highly produced, the you know, highest grossing movie. But it's year. a big hit. That yeah. one. There's the Rocky Horror Picture Show, right? So oh, that's sure. the other the other direction, which is happening right. more in the 70s. You've also got Grease. Uh, you've also got Hair. The Wiz. Uh, you've got The Wiz, where it's like right rock ish musicals, like cultural new mm-hmm. musicals. Jesus Youth Christ, superstar. That, yeah, yeah, yeah. Falls that's in showing that same category. Yes. That's showing yes. up. Yes. Shirley MacLaine Shirley is attached MacLaine. to Star in Sweet Charity. She had actually been a chorus girl on the Pajama Game. Mm-hmm. Uh, and Alfred Hitchcock had noticed her when she was promoted as an understudy to a role. Alfred Hitchcock saw her and. Wow. Uh, she says that being in pajama game changed her life. Okay. So she demanded that Fosse direct the film. Okay. He wasn't sure. He wasn't like, I'm definitely going to do this. But the main reason this film is happening is because she wants to do it. I guess so. But it's also just the universal is like musicals. Right. What do we got? There's a new one. This, uh, this she's opens, a big star. Yeah. This opens on Broadway like two years before the movie comes out. It's like a pretty quick turnaround, right? Three years. Yeah. Three, 66 yeah. to 69. Yeah. Okay. And uh, yeah, I mean, where's Shirley MacLaine at this she's point? A, she's a big ass fucking star. Yeah, she's I mean, such a babe. <sighs> one of the least surprising David Crufts. Yeah, not surprised at I'm, all. You guys don't like Shirley MacLaine? Well, yeah, of course. Look at her. Look at her. It is fun. Don't I, you wanna? The fact hang that out. her and Warren Beatty are siblings is a thing I can never keep in my head. Think it just are. doesn't compute in a weird way. They're both honeys. They're that both hotties, and they almost have Put this... that into the computer. <laughs> what does this say? Folks, I wish I could tell you what David's doing. It's like the pa- you could see the paper coming out of the printer. <laughs> he ripped it. Um, well, no, wait, they, what they, did it say? They almost have the same face. It says they're both hotties. Oh, okay. Um, maybe it's just the main thing. Maybe it's also just like it just feels impossible that both of them could be have such legendary careers entirely separate yeah, that's from true. each they're other. Very, very separate from each other. Um, you know, I mean, she'd done Woman Time 7 a couple years ago, which is kind of like an insane Vittorio De Sica movie where she plays seven women. Uh-huh. She did Gambit. It, I feel like it's been a while since she's had like a like a huge hit. Gambit I love, yeah. Gambit's just, fun. She yeah. did Irma LaDuce. That's sort of like, that's, right. and that's, that's like 63. Yeah. So I do feel like, I guess it's just been a minute. Mm-hmm. Um, but that's fine. We support Shirley MacLaine. And, you know, she's sort of in the Rat Pack, you know? She was so like she could, she's cool. She could roll with the rats, right? Yeah. They uh they bring in Ross Hunter to produce it. He mm-hmm. had just uh, produced uh, the Thoroughly Modern Millie m- movie. Always get Thoroughly Modern Millie and Sweet Charity confused. They're very similar. They're both about gals with short hair gone. <laughs> you know, like so. It's, yes. I A L Diamond, of course, a classic Billy Wilder guy, uh-huh. comes in to write the screenplay. Right. Uh, he. Writes a gritty screenplay that is more Knights of Kiberia. Okay. Uh, and uh, Hunter, the producer, is like, no, no, no. We we want a G-rated yeah. hit here. We yes. don't we don't want this. Yeah. Uh, there was quite a fight, Ben, about whether Charity could say up yours. Well, I'm glad that that fight ended the way that it did. Bob Fosse says, I felt if she couldn't, then we might as well make Mary Poppins all the way. Wow. Uh, so Hunter, the producer, leaves the movie saying, mm-hmm. fine, if you're going to make 
smut. Smut. I won't be involved. Up yours, sir. Now, John McMartin, I think, is so much fun as Oscar in this movie. He he played the role on Broadway. I'm just going to tell you a person that was considered for the job. Do you know this? No. I mean, there's other names... The names that you might hear at this time: sure. Alan Arkin, Robert Redford, Anthony Perkins. Yeah. Okay. Okay. Alan Alda. Imagine him in that elevator goofing around. That's the thing. You think about the elevator. Talk about some elevator antics. Oh, seriously. You put Arkin in there. Do uh, you think that was George Lucas was referencing Sweet Charity yeah. when he did elevator antics? This is my homage to the fact that um, they have a freakout in an elevator, and the intermission happens in the middle of the freakout. This is the funniest intermission. What, what does that even mean? What the fuck am I saying? I know what you mean. The, the intermission feels like a button uh, to a joke. My wife was like, wait, is the movie over? And I was like, no, no, no. They, they, no. And then I was thinking, like, that would be crazy, though. <laughs> that was the end of the movie. It's just weird to have an intermission that's also positioning itself like it's a cliffhanger to like a Lone Ranger serial or some shit. Will, I, will, will they escape the elevator? Right. Will he have another panic attack? Right. <laughs> And then they like, you know, when they come back, they're like, finally, the epic conclusion to the elevator antics. And you're like in the middle of a musical where they're just stuck in a box. I um, just think Alan Alda would be cute. That's no, all. I agree. Look, that's the scene to talk about. Uh, what's his name again? I'm sorry, the actor. John McMartin. I was trying to figure out where, why he looks so familiar to me. And the answer is uh, he, he has a pair of incredibly good uh, guest starring episodes. Okay. On uh, both uh, Cheers and Mary Tyler Moore. Oh yeah, uh huh. He's a visiting lecher in yes. Cheers, and that's season seven. Uh, and he was in, let's see, Mary he Tyler plays Moore. Plays a lawyer that uh, the episode's called Mary Gets a Lawyer. Mary doesn't want to give up her source. Ah, she's being sued, and uh, Lou Grant gets her a lawyer, and the lawyer falls in love with Mary, and she tries her best to reject him, and he's so dejected he shows up to court like dead drunk, and they have to sort of like puppeteer him. He's good like, at playing a Schlemiel, yeah. Yeah, he's, but I was he's... just like. You know, I've watched both of those shows in their entirety. There are a lot of episodes. Yeah, where it's like... They jumped out to me where I was just like, these are fucking really interesting performances. The episode's built around them. Anyway. Good for him. Yeah. Did he win a Tony? I want to look this up now. He must have, right? I don't know. He must have, David. I'm not sure. Tony Award. When did it go from the Anthony Awards to the Tonys? Very question. <sighs> Terrible question. One no, of the worst questions question. ever That's asked. That's a great question. He was nominated for five Tonys and never okay. won. Wow. And including for Into the Woods in 2002, played the narrator. Oh, wow. So I would have seen him in that. That was the Vanessa Williams production? Yeah. Uh, and he, yeah, was nominated for a Tony for that and for High Society for Showboat, which I saw Showboat. Hey. That was my first Broadway show, 1995's wow. Showboat Revival. Wow. Old Man River. Remember that? Man, oh, we man. should fucking revive Showboat with David. Yeah. After that prefer <laughs> Wow, if, 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 if they revive Showboat with me <laughs> in the role of the guy who sings Old Man River, which yeah. is not the character, I can't remember the character's name yeah. right now. I think that people might not like that. People, I think people might, might be mad. People might not. Like I think people it. might not like that at all. I feel like that's also a load that we have somehow avoided up until this moment, which is podcasters leading Broadway revivals. <laughs> I just remember, like, we were going to go see Showboat. My parents like got, I guess, a soundtrack album yeah. for me to listen to. Yeah. To pre- they were like, okay, so like here, especially because Showboat has no plot. I feel like my parents would do the same thing. Right. Like, or here, my dad would just try songs. to sing the song for me and be like, get ready for this song, Gary, Indiana. <laughs> Good song. Great song. Banger. Um, um, and I got really obsessed with Old Man River because it does 
I could tell from the performance (laughs) you gave. Clearly, you reached down somewhere deep to pull that out of you. If I sang any more of Wind River, I would truly get canceled. I am not going to do that. Um, I've invoked it too many times. But the 2003 opening Oscars Billy Crystal song, where for Mystic River, he does Old Man Eastwood. Yes, you you, you sang in... Uh, paint your wagon don't sing anymore that yes. was one of the jokes i remember that um yes it does sea biscuit to cold finger <laughs> sounds good sweet charity okay yeah okay um cheetah rivera gets cast mm-hmm. over rita moreno and mitzi gainer mm-hmm. uh nichelle nichols is up for the role of helene which eventually goes to paula kelly i almost thought it was nichelle nichols though. she has a crazy? very very similar look Highest budgeted universal film since Spartacus, which did, will also be discussed on this podcast this year. Uh, yeah, crazy. Mm-hmm. Uh, did JJ was he able to track down a consistent number? Because I, th- the reporting seems to be all over the fucking place I, of how much this movie cost. The, the, the yeah, the, the, I, I'm not having. Don't see a full number from him. Okay, but 20 million is a number I've seen, which is crazy. The eight for to a 20 60s range movie. seems yeah. to be thrown out, and the movie ended up at like three. Shirley McLean alone got paid one. And they were like, the whole roadshow engagement, I think, made $1 million in total. And then they like squeezed an additional like million and a half, cutting it down. There's like a shorter cut of this movie. How did you watch it? Uh, I have the Blu-ray. I think you, I have the Blu-ray. What did you? What did I use? Like Broadway yeah, HD. Yeah, you, you can only watch it streamable on Broadway HD, which is like a subscription service. Yeah. Which look, I will say to our listeners. Check it out. Yeah. Broadway HD, first of all, like free seven day trial. Sure. If you want to support a bad company, Amazon, you can get a seven-day trial, but also with a cheaper monthly price. Broadway HD, a lot of good shit. But even, you know, if you're not interested for the long term, they do have uh, this movie. It's the only place that's streamable or rentable. They have Liza with a Z, which we, we plan on covering on Patreon. It's yeah, a yeah. very We're important concert film. And they also have the uh, filmed production uh, of, of Fosse's Pippin. Cool. So it's like those, it, look, if you want to sign for Broadway HD for all week and cancel your membership and watch those three things, three important pieces for this mini But my guess is it also has a lot of other cool shit, yeah, so right? It it's got a lot there. of cool ass shit. You saw what? The Wiz. Yeah. Hell yeah. Huh. Maybe yeah. I'll sign up. Yeah, I signed up and I... I okay. Okay. I was like, I'm, I'm gonna. I think I'm gonna fucking keep this. I should watch more musical. That's what I'm thinking. Maybe yeah. just throw on a musical. Nice just watch some people. I like musicals. They fucking. Yeah, cool. I feel right. like I'm learning that though with this. Right. You you yeah, long resisted them. Uh, I think miniseries. for some reason you thought of them as homework. No, I just because I you also thought goofy. Yeah, I think they're goofy. I yeah. think that there's something about the. Uh, God, he would the sincerity. Yeah. You know what I mean? Yeah. Um, yes. Like. I think you I just give in. I was too. I was yep. too ironic. I know. I was too removed from everything, man. God, I was looking at some fucking. I mean, like I once again the foreshadowing. But uh, when it came out, Stanley Kubrick said that all that jazz was maybe the best movie he had ever seen. And I saw some fucking dude on like the r slash movies reddit or whatever being like hmm i'm very conflicted because i think stanley kubrick is the most brilliant filmmaker Mm. of all time and i trust his opinions but i hate musicals so much how could he think a musical was that good and it it is fascinating how some people are just like i refuse to accept people breaking into song it will never make sense to me it's true some people are like that yeah but you know what what 
They're stupid. Musicals rule. Yeah, they do rule. I know, you so know. So much fun. I miss. I have missed going to Broadway shows. I went to one recently and had a great time. I saw the Music Man. I sure did see the Music Man. How many trombones do they have in that production? Seventy six beautiful trombones. Wow. Seventy six trombones. Did you count them? No, I took Hugh's word for it. Maybe he was scamming me. Artist. <laughs> you know the the opening number of Music Man, which is incredible and is done very well, is yeah. set on a train car, and it's all the salesmen being yeah. like, "He doesn't know the territory, right?" They're talking yeah. about him, and you can see him. Yeah. You know, Hugh's the whole the trick is that Hugh's sitting there sure. and he's gonna stand up at a certain point. Yeah, yes. And I can, you know, I mean I, I see him. I'm right, like, okay, there's now. Hugh. Yeah. All right, all right, all right. You know, and then those, they, they do five minutes. I see those biceps. And then right, and then he yeah. stands up and everyone loops out. You know. <laughs> ah, yeah. He's just yeah. you know. <laughs> Just it, there's something about Broadway shows like that. Like you couldn't do that in any other medium. It's the best. Just is the applause break for someone being like, it's me. You knew it was. I know. Uh, you know what they should do? They should be like, Music Man, new revival, Music Man. And you walk in, you sit down, you're so fucking amped. You brought the whole family. Curtain goes up, long day's journey into night. Harold Hill got you again. <laughs> you see him escaping with a suitcase full of money, and the money's right. like flapping in the breeze. Hugh Jackman's performance is just running out of the theater every That would night. be good. That would be good. Um, okay. Uh, Robert Surtees shot this movie. A great cinematographer. He shot like The Graduate and The Bad and the Beautiful and a lot of great yeah. movies. Uh, uh, and apparently Fosse looks incredible. This movie looks say, fucking incredible. This movie has a lot of uh, color in it is yeah. a thing I noticed. I put this movie on my cinematography ballot for 1969 and yeah. I had to really think about it. Okay. Give me the others. Uh, give me the five. I had to cut some. I can't even remember who I bumped now. My nominees are uh, Raul Coutard's work for Zed. Mm-hmm. Z. Uh-huh. Nestor Almendros for My Night at Mods. I mean. I've never seen My Night at Mods, but Almendros the Goat. David. David's looking at me like I just... I mean, one, it's a great movie and you should see it. Shit two, on him. No, no, no. It's just, it's real Griffin canon. Really? It's about a guy who's just like, I don't think I want to have sex. And the lady's hmm. like, come on, spend a night with me. And he's just in bed being like, yeah, I don't know. I got a lot of feelings about this. Who are the guy and the gal? Jean-Louis Trintignant. Yeah. And uh, uh, who's the gal? Jeez, uh, what's her name? Very embarrassing of me not to know her name, which is, of course, Francoise Fabienne. Oh. It's a great movie. Yeah, you know, all of Romero's movies. I know. Yeah. Mor- the moral tales. You I know, someone's being Romero. like, let's fuck. And yeah. the other person's like, oh, it seems immoral. Yeah. Um, that's not what they're all like. Haskell Wexler for Medium Cool. Yeah, well, Robert yeah. Surtees for Sweet Cherry. And Laszlo Kovacs for Easy Rider. It's just like a lot of like exciting new yeah. visuals. This thing does, yeah, just look fucking unbelievable. But what I was trying to say sure. about Surtees is that Pavi apparently was just asking Robert Surtees so many questions because he's never done this before. Sure. You know, so he's just like, what is this? How does this work? Like, what do we, you know, like, so he's very into, uh, as he puts it, I'm just a schmuck dancer. I don't know anything about the camera, but he wants to know everything about the camera. Like, he's not just here to be like, well, I'll handle the musical side of things. He's like, no, I want to know. And he's not just interested in photographing dance. He's like really interested in the unique opportunities that film provides as a medium. Uh, abs- which is just so crucial to why he is successful as a filmmaker. Yes. Beyond his success as a choreographer. Yes. Uh, yeah, no, and, and this is a movie that is just uh, so in love with the possibilities of film construction. A hundred percent. He was very inspired by John Huston's Moulin Rouge, a film I've never seen. I haven't either. Uh, which he thought found new ways to shoot dancing. Okay. 
because of course, as you sort of mentioned, Fred Astaire, Greg, you know, Greg Kelly, yes, Greg Kelly, Fox News host. No, no, uh, Greg Gene Kelly. You know, they, you know, full, full, full body, yes. you know, full figure shot of a guy dancing, right? Right. Moulin Rouge. He says that's the first time I'm seeing a leg or the flash of a face sure. or something. Like you know, it's more exciting. Yes, maybe this eventually gets taken down a chopped to ribbons. But, such, but like, the, it's, the it's new is, at the there's time. Su- and there's such a. Uh, specific intentionality to Fosse and also once again it's the it's the rhythm thing it's that he's constructing very specific rhythm. I mean it's what what you quoted Nelly is saying but the focus on like one body part as a time he understands that close-ups that insert shots that creating offbeat staccato editing rhythms around those can accentuate things and make that feel like its own form of movement rather than obscuring a movement which yes. I think a lot of coverage does when you're like it's three similar angles that are just sort of cut on the beat interchangeably. In general, though, he sounds like the kind of guy we cover on this podcast in that he's meticulous. He mm-hmm. pays too much attention to everything. He ha- everything has to be exactly right. Yeah. He missed nothing, says Shirley MacLaine. As the result, he saw too much. Uh, being the rep- repository of all he saw rendered him indecisive. So his movies cost more money, probably, because he takes... You know, he does more takes. He takes longer to do everything. Look, if this movie has a fundamental issue, it is that he is trying out so many different techniques and ideas on top of what is a very simple story. Right. And it starts to feel like it's it's a very maximalist film. It is. I in, mean, in perhaps a narrative that cannot support that. There's no right. There's no strong narrative, really. Right. And of course, famously, Gwen Verdon is there and, you know, People say, must have hurt. She's not playing this role, right? Surely right. got the part, but you wouldn't know with her. She was stoic. She was sort of uncredited. Helping all the dancing. Was a choreographer. Absolutely. Yeah. yeah. And, and also was just like, look, I'm not a movie star. Shirley MacLaine is. It's an expensive movie. I understand this how true. this works. This is true. Yes. Uh, Cheetah Rivera says the fact that she was there at all blew me away. But Gwen, you know, did it for Bobby, did it for Jack Cole. I felt no resentment coming from her. She did her job, mm-hmm. you know. And of course, the craziest thing about this is the ending. Yes. Fosse shoots two. He just assumes, I understand the game I'm playing here. They're never going to fucking let me have the ending where she finds quiet contentment. So, right. Being alone. And they shoot the fucking happy ending. And the studio goes like, this sucks. Right. They shoot an ending that's basically the ending you see. She jumps in the, or she gets pushed in. I think she jumps into the river. She does. And then, and then once and again, then, remember, she can't swim. And then he shows up and he's like, I'm sorry. I was crazy. I, was I love you. I save you. Right. It doesn't make any sense, especially since that already happened. Like, it's, it's sort of a repetition of a thing that already It's happened. just funny because that was always the, like... It sounds like the thing the studio would force and the director would lose their shit over. And the director preemptively was like, they're going to want this fucking bullshit. And he showed them, they were like, this eats ass. This is bad. <laughs> um, <laughs> Why don't you do that fucking sad ending? One Everyone re- loved on Broadway. <laughs> one reason... Oh, uh, so did you watch the other ending? Because I've never seen this. Yeah, it's bad. It's bad. It's bad. bad. And it's just like, it's passionate. You can tell everyone's just like, this sucks, right? Right. It's like the Blade Runner ending where Harrison Ford's voiceover is like, and then they lived happily ever after, I guess. It truly was a Blade Runner. (laughs) Universal is slightly inspired by the fact that they had just put out Funny Girl and Finian's Rainbow, and those also both have bittersweet endings. Sure. So I think they're thinking like, we can get away with this. And I don't think the ending of this movie is what hurts it. Like, it's not like the movie had, you know, it, it, it had other issues. This movie is both dramatically and comedically effective in large stretches. But there's just like, it's, it's, 
it's like one of those like novelty desserts. Yeah, like a like a serendipity three not ice cream sundae. It is not Broadway show. It's got right. some great songs. It's got like I, you know this movie has an incredible Shirley MacLaine performance. But you're not like yeah like oh narrative and dance and sing songwriting and are blending into this perfect yeah, concoction. About, like, the novelty dessert thing, the fucking oh, like sixty dollar no. frozen hot chocolate where you're like novelty dessert. Well, yes, I can't eat sure. this. Like, this looks incredible. Okay. Every separate element you put on here is delicious. How do I approach this as a food? You know? Um, like, if I just yeah, want to eat the ice cream, so. it's hard to get to the ice cream underneath. And it's like, the ice cream of this show probably works best in a cone. Mm. And then he put everything else on top of it, which it's like, maybe would work for, like, a Pippin adaptation. You know? Pippin's so silly. Right. Yes. You can, you can throw the bombast on top of it, but this is in essence, like a character study. And it's a, a, a story of vignettes of passing moments, you know? Mm-hmm. I think people thought the bittersweet ending would work, but I, I think by the time people got to that ending, they were like, what is this movie? They, they, they've, lo- they've lost it long before the ending. I think. And, and the, the most thread. critical reviews of this film, maybe not the most critical reviews, but if you read a lot of the critical ones, they're like, Verdon figured out how to make this character specific and compelling enough, and there was an energy that carried you along. And Shirley MacLaine is doing Shirley MacLaine movie star stuff, and she's not bad in it, but you don't feel like I'm so compelled by what's going on. I like her. I do too. I think she's a cutie pie. Th- th- you, it could get lost in the shuffle sometimes. A little bit. I mean, that's I what, do like that's this what movie Vincent Camby thought. Yes. That she could not recapture Miss Verdon's eccentric line. Sure. Uh, which eccentric line's a great Yes. Calls McLean a dull, shapeless dancer and an ordinary singer. I mean, it's a little much. Yeah. Uh, this is the thing with Camby, though. Like, he often, at a certain point, is just like, why are there missiles falling? Like, he starts out of being like, you know, there's some problems with this movie. And by the end, you're like, you just insulted her family. <laughs> like, he could get kind of insane. Yes. Um, but yeah, it says the movie, too long, too noisy, dim yeah. imitation of its source material. This is kind of the reaction. Right. Um, and the roadshow version, the 157 minute roadshow version with the overture, the intermission, the exit music, and all that, uh, goes over really badly. And so they, as you say, they try to sort of like get a compressed version that can and work. I, I think this was a moment that's almost a little similar to where, I mean, what happened with 3D movies and what happens with IMAX now, where it was like the roadshow was like a very specific, reserved occasions, movies that could live up to that hype. It was, you know, like a lot of fucking fanfare around it. You got a program. You were expected to dress up nicely. It was in great old theater, like movie palaces and shit, right? Right. The film's longer. You get a proper intermission, whatever. And it was like almost every film they had put in that format lived up to that format. And then there was sort of the IMAX thing where it's like, what if we start taking movies that weren't shot in IMAX and just blowing them up and saying this deserves to be an IMAX movie? Mm. And this is when the roadshow is starting to collapse as well. At the same time, the musical is starting to collapse. People are like, I don't need to pay extra for this. No. I can fucking wait and see this in six months with 20 minutes trimmed out of it and I can wear a t-shirt or whatever. Sweet charity. Sweet charity. It made, according to this, it finally scraped $8 million. Okay. Um, but it was a bomb. It was a bomb. Do you guys want to talk about some of your favorite moments in the film? I like when they sing Hey Big Spender. That was one of the standout songs where I was like, hey, that, Big Spender. I knew that song. Like th- That's like a part of our culture. Yeah. That's like it, a huge song. This is a movie where we can actually go through the plot because it is just a series of musical numbers and like different men. 
Yep. Right. Pretty much. She's charity. She's a taxi dancer. Yeah. She's only got $427 and she loses it in the first moment of the movie. Her boyfriend's a fucking jerk. Yeah, okay. he's no I good. I must say, this guy sucks. Do he we sucks. wait? Do we want to rank the boys in yes. terms of badness? Yeah. Because he's bottom. He's Charlie. He's right? the worst Rock one. Charlie. Charlie. Yes. Yeah. Uh, and Tattoo's then, pretty cool, though. And then Her are we, tattoo. Yeah. And then I guess, where's is Sammy Davis Jr.? He, he doesn't romance her, but does he count as a boy? Because if so, he's number one. Yeah, if we're saying like sweet charity boys, like who are the guys? Uh, hmm. Because otherwise you've got, you know, obviously Ricardo Montalban. I really trust Vittorio. Montalban. I well, know. He's very charming. He yeah. kind of he blows it at the end there, but uh, He yeah. blows it, but there's something, I, I don't know. That's like a real fucking Griffin night. You want to talk about some real Griffin shit? It's like, so do you hook up? No, I just stayed in the closet while they had sex with someone else. <laughs> but then afterwards they were nice to me. Uh, and then you got John McMartin as, as Arthur. Sure. Uh, sorry, as Oscar. Sorry. That's it. Those are really the boys. Yeah. yeah. Who's your favorite boy? I guess they're all bad. That's why I'm pro Sammy Davis Jr. Just bring him in. Yeah, I mean, if we cl- the the other guy obviously is her boss. Herman? Stubby K? I mean, and what a name. You were trying to get his name. I could have just told you. Yeah, 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 who, yeah. Who obviously played Nicely Nicely. He, he originated Nicely Nicely. Uh, which is the guy who sings "Sit Down, You Rock in the Boat," the which perfect, is one of the keep greatest. Him on the bench. What's this guy doing? Your yep. musical stands up, kills one fucking number at the end, sits back down. Yeah. He's a human cigar. Yeah, and his name was Stubby K, his which was actually was. not his um his birth name. Oh, his name was Stubbard K. <laughs> <laughs> his name was Bernard Kotzen. Wow. <laughs> Uh, and w- would you believe this man was uh, the d- the son of Jewish immigrants into New York City? Uh, and he was raised in the Rockaways. Wow. And uh, yeah, Stubby K. Sit down. You're rocking the boat. Yeah. I love that song. I just think we're missing guys like this for movies today. Well, it's now it's like, who is it? It's like Josh Gad. It's like these people that Disney like picks up as like, you're the funny guy. You come in, you pop. And it's like, yeah. Well, the other no problem is, K. and I, I mean no disrespect when I say this. These days, you're maybe hiring a Colin Farrell to play a stubby kid. Well, that can happen. Well, I'm not sure if they're hiring a Colin Farrell. Who are you thinking of? What, like, what's a, what's a movie you're thinking of? Well, I, With like I, a funny I, sidekick I, role. Uh, let me think about that. Let me think about that. I mean, like, I guess, I guess uh, uh, Leto and House of Gucci should have been played by a stubby kid. Would have been fun. I'm a pigeon. Yeah. I must learn how to fly. Yeah. Sort like a pigeon. I think people want hunks to show that they can play a stubby. Mm. And so yeah. Oh, you're thinking stubby of the penguin. Star. Of course. Well, and also, I mean, it's a different performance, but horrible bosses. Yeah. Yeah. But, you know, I think with Colin Farrell, just I think specifically. Both of those are good yeah, this, the thing too. with Colin Farrell is it, it more seemed like he was like, can you put some shit on my face? I'm sick of people <laughs> thinking I'm hot. So fucking hot. <laughs> right. Uh, like, it wasn't like, I'm going to prove to you, you know, I'm not going to declam. It was more just like, hide no. me. <laughs> like, yes, yes. Yes. Right. Right. It it feels, when Colin Farrell does it, it feels more like Edward Cullen being like, this is the skin of a monster. <laughs> right. I don't want to be I'm seen anymore. Jared Leto is like, what if I, what if I look like this? Um, anyway. Uh, so be, yeah, so. Yeah, she's a dancer. Uh, her boyfriend pushes her off a bridge in Central Park and steals her money. Oh, good, very bad. Don't do it. One um, of the worst dates I've ever witnessed. And then we go right into, hey, big spender. Which is done all like slow and drawn out. I mean, this is when I just feel like 
you're not seeing musical numbers with this kind of energy. The amount of like fucking restraint in how long he takes to wind that Tease thing it. up. The teasing. Um, There's nothing finer than mm-hmm. a trumpet sounding like wow, 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 wow. There's just nothing better. <laughs> it's so good. I what? don't disagree, what? but I don't why know why that, that was one funny. One of the funniest things Ben has ever done. It's not even an. It's an obvious point, and yet there was just something about how he put it. He did the trumpet with his hand for the listener. It is funny. The plunger. They they put a plunger at the end of it. They they sometimes do. He didn't do the thing where he like blew on his thumb and pretended the hand was. His one hand was gripping. Yeah, and the other one was. I mean, I guess it is also funny that this instrument that we can use to like play sort of somber stuff at like yeah. a military funeral right? right or like and you know this amazing jazz music but you also go wah, wah. <laughs> like it is funny <laughs> it just immediately it's just like body sound <laughs> right. and it means that's what it means it means yeah. like uh-oh yeah. <laughs> like who is that guy who is like guys I, I figured out if you put a thing in it it does this noise you know that thing I used on clutch <laughs> shit and all the other trumpet players are like, "What? What if I you, put that on top of the thing I blow into?" You can't, you can't do that. The trumpet is a noble instrument. Like, bruh, bruh. <laughs> and then, like, guys are like, "Get this guy. This guy's good. Pay him money." <laughs> is there an argument? Is there an argument? I want to ask. This is a serious question. This is a serious question. I want this to provoke <laughs> spirited debate. Okay, uh-huh. sure. Is there an argument for the trumpet being the funniest instrument? Now, I know we're all riding high the in the endorphins of, we've all been laughing, this trumpet run's been really fun, yeah, right? Yeah, and obviously we can't ignore the tuba, the, you know. <laughs> well, the tuba is right. kind of like, yeah. Because tuba's kind of, this is the, the big chung is of trumpet. Yeah, and, it, and it's just, I mean, just a very comical thing. And it also looks so funny. It's funny that you have to wear it. It's funny that you have to wear it. You, you operated a tuba, right? I sure <laughs> did. My band teacher took one look at me and said tuba you're a tuba vibe your band teacher would just throw the tuba at kids and anyone who could actually hold like support it it was mm-hmm. like all right that's yep. your instrument buddy yeah i just think like hacky people will go to like triangle xylophone sure zoo like these fucking simplistic sort of childlike instruments or like that's the funny thing right yeah but the trumpet's actually sort of the the, the secret powerhouse especially because it is taken seriously yeah 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 and it takes skill it does but it looks so fucking funny and it makes <laughs> robust fart sounds <laughs> it does it it can do that's what i'm saying it can Deep play taps resonant. but it can do farts as well <laughs> Big Spender, I feel like, is the only number, maybe if my friends could see me now, but like, I feel like Big Spender is the only number in Sweet Charity that people are guaranteed to know today, right? It's a song, absolutely. Right? Like, that's, that's the, and it's, so it's like right at the start, it doesn't really have anything to do with the plot except just... This is we, we want world. you to spend money on us. Right. We are we're the girls. Is uh, Shirley right? Walker the one who does the the single version of it? I mean, that's what's known is the I think Shirley sh- Bassey is who you mean, of course, right? Yes. Yes. Oh, Shirley Walker's the fucking Batman, the animated series. <laughs> is that right? Yeah, Memoirs of Visible Man. Shirley, right? Am I wrong? Uh, you are correct about both Shirley Walker and yes, Shirley Bassey. Okay, who, uh, you know Shirley Bassey. You know he loves gold. You know she's the the Bond 
Bond singer. Who is she talking about who loves gold? Gold finger. Um, I, I, no, but I get- Only gold. It, it is still just funny that that song is called Goldfinger, and she's like, he loves gold. Only gold. He loves gold. Only gold. He loves gold. That's like the the last minute of the song. It's just her saying that. It's intensifying. <laughs> and you're like, I get it. She's like, gold. And you're like, okay, okay. Anyway. No, but this, it's, this song becomes like a, a, a crossover, like pop hit. Yes. Mm-hmm. So it's legacy, I think, like when Ben's watching this movie and, and this it's comes like a on, two minute song. It's right, not like a long song. Right. Your reaction is like, holy shit, Hey Big Spender's from this? That's what this song is? Yep, definitely. It's not even like, I, I think most people wouldn't associate with it, even though probably everyone knows this song. Right. Um, true. Other people who covered it, Chaka Khan, apparently, Bette Midler, uh-huh. Peggy Lee, okay. Jennifer Love Hewitt in a promo for her TV series, The Client List. Hey, Big Spender. That was one of those sort of like, ooh, behind the scenes of escorts or whatever, yeah. right? Anyway. Um, NBC is ready to show you a shoulder on primetime television. <laughs> right. I think it was Lifetime, actually. Oh, really? Um, I and, two shoulders. Um, you know, I think it's just kind of a funny song. It's a very funny song. Right? Like, yeah. isn't, like, it's a song you can do on SNL. Yes. Sort of. Because of the noise, and I don't know, because of the word big, maybe. But, uh, yeah, but it's also... There's something very alert. It's a song that's really kind of like giving you a come, come hither Here, finger. Yeah, that's the idea. Yeah. Uh, but, it, but it feels that way musically as well. You know, like mm-hmm. there's something about it. Uh, I, I also think it's one of those songs where the lyrics are so clean and clear and directly uh, uh, verbalized. Sure. Uh, that you like know all the words to the song before you finish listening to it the first time. I know. I just loaded up Rich Man's Frog. You're right. You you know, even if you've never heard it before, basically. The next big number is Rich Man's Frog. Which, did you have the exact same realization I did? Go ahead. Every single move in this number is repurposed somewhere in the Austin Powers trilogy. This feels like this was one of the single biggest influences on Mike Myers. The three main guys are all wearing the fucking Austin Powers outfit. And every fucking move. As a kid who watched those movies too much. I'm like, they literally repurpose every single gesture. Which makes sense. Yes. But can I just say, is a broader thing. I just love the idea of like a bunch of rich people doing a dance about how rich and fancy they are. Yeah, and this is what it is. Yes. Yeah, it's like, oh, this is, of course, this is what rich people do. They're all like. Right, it's not a ballroom dance. It's Right. right. Yes, they're all doing like weird interpretive dance. The camera's going like. Like, this is what I'm you zooming. want the, the Skull and Bones Club to be. Yeah, absolutely. Um, everyone looks like, yes, Peter Fonda dressed as Austin Powers, basically. Right? right? Like, every, right? Is that, you know, right. I yeah. love her, the giant menu, the, the menu yeah. that's like weirdly big. Yeah. Love that it. That's rules. sort of like Gallagher esque prop comedy. Yeah. Do you think Gallagher was ripping off this movie? Yeah, absolutely. But this Remember when also- Ben said the trumpet thing? <laughs> <laughs> you ever that feeling of something like that happens in an episode and you're like at least we got that this has been absolute shit but at least Ben said that at you least know, we got that that episode's earned its keep you know you know, like the dance move that's like you kind of freeze like an Egyptian painting and then you kind of like slide yes I like when they do that yeah I feel like look there's a lot of uh, musicals especially 60s and 70s uh, I mean American in Paris has this as well the scene of the rain where it's like you do the extended, like, <laughs> He's maniac. 10 minute just dance sequence, right? Plotless. Right. Not even really singing. Right. 
Um, no main characters are involved, really. No, you another, know, it's a, just a bunch of dancers. Right. right. Either it's like a dream sequence, yep. so it's, it's removed from the plot, or, something. or yep. no main characters are involved, and the main characters are watching it happen, or whatever it is. I feel like most of them save this for like the third act. Right. This it's is kind of wild that this happens in the first thirty minutes. But the dancing evokes stuff. Yeah, Do you does. know what I mean, guys? Because like, like I'm, I'm like, yeah. I poo pooed this as a young man, sure. a kid, yeah. couldn't pay attention, yeah. and I'm like. They're saying stuff with this, their body. It's so cool. Sure yeah, I'm, I'm trying to even think how I would describe this dance. It's almost like a rich man's frog. I, I'm rewatching it. I'm just having it's so fucking a great good. time. Yeah. Oh, yes. man. Imagine like being one of the rich people, though, and then fucking up your dance move and everyone's mad at you. That's what I'd be worried about. Everyone's like doing this and you're like doing this and like ah, Sims. What's the other reason why? Like, I mean, and this is a sequence where he he lets it play out in long takes. Yes, right. Definitely. Because uh, he does want to just showcase the choreography. Yeah, the here. choreography is so spectacular right. and it's so visually. And then like he does sort of a. He does a, a hair thing where like yeah. the the color goes negative. Wait, it's about that, that right. you know that's right. you know that kind of stuff. Man, you know what's another thing? Sort he of psychedelia, does that's incredible. Because uh, because even like classical or golden age movie musicals, we use camera movements a lot as a part of their choreography. Right? You put the camera on a track, and you have these kind of crazy absolutely right. You know, or you dolly around or whatever. I feel like he is able to make whip zooms feel like choreography. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. There are like rhythmic zooms in this movie. Yeah. Uh, the zooms are really important. They're really, they're really cool. Yeah. And the zooms in and out sometimes. Yes, right, yeah. right. And freeze, freezing like, you know, like an image and then yes. moving it around. And then sometimes the people will freeze. Yeah. Right. There's, well, there's that sequence The uh, it's after she gets out of the park yes. when she's walking to her job that is just the series of like the freeze frames. It, it'll freeze scene. frame and then the audio is moving and stuff like, right. it's very cool. He's just throwing every fucking technique at the board. Like he's just, what can I do? Um, but yes, she meets Vittorio Vitale played by a younger Ricardo Montalban. He's not exactly young, but yeah. he's in his late forties, I think. Right. You know, we're, killing it. Uh, killing it. We're just, you know, it's the peak of Hollywood saying anyone who isn't Anglo-Saxon is allowed to play anyone yes, else. Correct. correct. Right? Um, yes. You're Jewish, you play a Mexican. You're Mexican, you play an Italian man. Um, You're Spanish, you play a Jew. Like, everyone's the same. If you aren't yes. an Anglo-Saxon with a transatlantic accent. Yes. Uh, but he sort of plays uh, Marcella Mastriani right. type. Right. He, he's just broken up with his girlfriend. He's a big fancy movie star, and she, he takes her to this club, takes her to his apartment. What do you believe? A guy like that, paying and, attention to a girl like her. And so she does a big song about how she can't believe she's in this apartment. And it's called If They Could See Me Now. Yeah. And she's dancing around. Dances with the, the coat hanger. Yep, the painting. She dances by a big painting. Yeah. She's got the hat, obviously, his hat. She does a lot of hat stuff. The cane. Oh, um, yeah, the hat. It's kind of popping the, the hat. The, cl the, cl the collapsible hat. hat. Yeah. yeah. Why don't you have a collapsible hat? I was asking myself that same you question. Get one. I wrote collapsible hat question mark. Yeah. It's sort of the classic sweet charity situation, right? Things are looking great. Yeah. A guy's interested in her. Things are looking up. But it's that and then immediately also. something weird and humiliating <laughs> happens to right. her. Yeah. And she's just like sort of like G. Willikers fascinated by all the rich fancy person shit around her. Mm -hmm. Like, look at all this movie star shit you have. You're, was, there's that line she has where she's like, you took back to her apartment, but it wasn't an apartment. It was like, like, I like that she's sort of more fascinated that she is 
dejected. Yeah. When this the the ex girlfriend that he's complaining about. Yeah, she rolls with this punch. Ursula is the ex girlfriend. Okay, right. she's yeah, she right. she's she's still returning home to the girls, being like, "I spent the night with a movie star," you know, and they're like, "You just got his hat and his right." They're uh, like, "You don't understand that he took advantage of me." And she's like. He didn't take advantage it of me. It was and fun. They're like, then that's depressing. And they're like, it wasn't depressing. I had a good time. I slept in a closet. Uh, yes. But, you know. That dumb waiter, though. And he brings up di- supper. Oh, yeah. What a move. Mm, I would. I mean, someone brings me supper in a dumb waiter. And calls it supper. And calls it supper. Calls it supper. That's, that's a mean, classy I'm dinner. Sold. And even Signed, sealed, delivered. When she walks out of the closet and she sees. Then will put out for a dumb waiter. Yes. What? <laughs> We'll podcast for supper. When she walks out of the closet and she sees Ursula lying naked in the bed and her reaction is just like, those are unbelievable sheets. Yeah. yeah. It's funny. There's no sense of like jealousy. No. I, I feel like she does. She, you know, cause it's right then that she goes to the employment agency. She does have some sense of like, I got to figure it out. But yeah, she doesn't take it hard. I think it's more, it's yeah. less about that she didn't end up with him and more about she was like, God, it'd be cool to have that kind of life. Right, right. She wants to be fancy. Can I go legit? There's something about the way she's dressed throughout. I mean, she's kind of wearing the same trench coat with a black dress, mm-hmm. but it made me think a lot of like how when you're trying to fit in and in these spaces, yeah. like, you know, that it's almost like you got to wear like really simple classic stuff. Sure. And I, there was just something about how she still sticks out, but is kind of nondescript right. in the way that she's dressed. Yeah. But you can tell like she doesn't belong there. She doesn't fit in. Yeah. Um, but also like yeah. this should, would be the coolest looking lady in Brooklyn today. Oh my God. People would be fucking falling over Losing themselves trying to get her attention. Mind. Uh, she goes to an employment agency. She has no special skills. She yep. kind of gets chased out of there when she admits that she's a taxi dancer. Uh, and then she meets a guy in the elevator, and the elevator gets stuck. Intermission. And they have a whole thing. But the whole sequence in the elevator is so good. She's so, because obviously he's yeah. now the funny one. Right. Because he's having a meltdown. Right. She's very sweet where she's just like, I guess this is happening to me now. Like, I think she's very winning in this scene. And the comedic business leads to her doing this musical number about his face, like manipulating his face while he's passed out. It's cute. It's such a bizarre stretch of it a is. movie. And then like make it a fucking cliffhanger in the middle. Um, it's so funny. Yeah. Uh, that is, it's a nice face. The song is called It's a Nice Face. It is. Yeah, it's a nice face. Can I say this thing? And I don't mean this backhanded in any way yeah there it, it, this performance does have that thing i feel like unmistakably you sometimes see in a movie musical where you're like this is the person who must have done on broadway sure i guess there's you know, just yeah. a familiarity there's an ease with it it doesn't yeah. feel like someone is like trying to pop really hard it's like they're just working as they part of the doing. show yeah, they just no, know no. what they're doing they're serving the show yeah versus like shirley mclean this is like i gotta prove something mm-hmm. no i think I need you're to right pull off a musical you know yeah, and he's very funny. Yeah. But you're right. It's it's, you know, precise what yeah. he's doing. Yeah. And it's such a type that kind of like nebbish who's in analysis right. in the late sixties. Like there's a you know, it's a very Neil Simon type. Yeah. Obviously. Um imagine if it was Alan Alda. The elevator, what do you mean? I mean, I can't do Alda, but it would be really good. Um, and then they start going out. Elevator. They do I a bunch of normal shit, and also yeah. he's like, "Why don't we go to some alternative church where Sammy Davis Jr. is going to do a number for us?" Right. It's truly like 
Now people would be like, what's this ADR, this line where he's like, let's go to my church. And they right. just drive. Because well, there's this like, whole church sequence. They are not seen while In Knights of Kiberia. Sings like the, the rhythm of life. The yeah. church they go to hasn't been taken over by the electric mayhem. <laughs> that, it's Look, it's good. It's, I'm not complaining. It's great. It's like yes. such a like reference to Electric Day Glow, like yes. Ken Kesey, right? All that stuff. Yeah. Um, I just love that it's just referencing the 60s in that way. Yeah, it's the end of the 60s. There's a lot of hippies in this. That was like happening at that time. But you don't like hippies. I don't like hippies. And this movie's got some. You like Sammy. Yeah, you do like Sammy. I mean, this these are more druggy hippies. I like so acid that's heads. more right. This yeah. is more they're more here. my speed. Right. Yeah. yeah. But I love the joke of kind of justifying it where he's like, Yeah, it's my church of the month club or something. And like I feel like they're kind of joking about basically the spiritualism sure. movement of the sixties and how there really were just all of these weird little kind yeah. of like alternative religions and churches and wellness things. Absolutely. Like, uh there could be up. something more than just Regular old Sunday. Well, once again, services. what we're talking about, like a, a pretty much a ten-minute sequence in which our main characters watch a musical number with characters who will have no bearing on the rest of the film, which is fun. Which is fun. It's just fucking showcase shit. And it's called the Rhythm of Life. Yeah. And it's Sammy Davis Jr. Uh, having a blast. Look, I know I'm not saying anything new here, but you watch this guy and you're like, oh right. People used to like know how to do stuff. David, you haven't seen RRR yet, right? No. I actually booked tickets to see it. I'll see if I actually get to do it. Okay. Yeah. I saw I saw it with a, a friend of the show, past and future guest, Brandon Hines mm-hmm. and his wife. Mm-hmm. And humble brag. Yep. And uh afterwards she just put it perfectly where she was just like, those actors can do anything. Um the, right. Well, that's the Bollywood thing. Right. They can sing, they can dance, they can they can do action yeah, sequences. They can do comedy, they, they can do drama, they right, can do act, yeah. right. Sammy Davis Jr. is the same thing where you're just like, this guy was trained, yeah. skilled, innate talent, but also just trained to be able to do anything. Right. And always grab your fucking attention. Yeah. Um, that, that's sort of how British actors are, or at least used to be, like this, well, the same kind of like, you've been, yes. you've been given every string to your bow, right? Like you have to learn to, to do accents, to dance, to do comedy, to sing. To, yeah. No, right. like, honestly, look, still... Watching like Benedict Cumberbatch on SNL, mm-hmm. you're like he has a comedic facility that is different than dramatic American actors. It's just true. It, it clearly was part of his training, and the fact that so many like British drama school serious actors also have to be part of a comedy troupe, yeah, and have a sketch background, and then like Andrew Garfield like magically being a good singer and tick tick boom, and they're like, "Do you have singing experience?" He's like, "No, but I've like trained my voice before. Mm-hmm. I just worked on it for a month." He's a good boy. So, yeah, I mean, the, the, the plot is, and the second act is really nothing, because it's just them dating for a while. Yes. There's that nice sequence in the subway station where they want to, like, they're going to kiss through the bars. My wife oh, was yeah. going like, don't touch the bars. <laughs> uh, and then after that is when she finally reveals, like, oh, you know, I'm a taxi dancer, and he already knew, and he's been kind of trying so, to be cool with it. Yes. But, but he and initially is like, I'm yeah. cool with it. Uh, so they that throw scene at the big... diner where they're sitting in the opposite booths in the opposite direction. Don't look at me. Yeah, they keep doing that bit. Um, very funny bit. Yeah. Um, and the whole birthday thing is is cute. It's not my favorite part of the movie. Dude, the song when she goes like it's basically the song about someone loves me. That's yes. Oh okay. man, that's when so, I like I started to get a little. Teary. I want to say this is secretly maybe my favorite number in the mm-hmm. movie. I find something so. I mean, I really like that uh, song. Yes. 
what is it? I'm a brass I'm band. I'm a brass band. The yeah. one where she's, you know, initially crying and then she's like in Yankee Stadium and in there's a brass band going all around her and she's at Lincoln Center and there's fountains going off. And, right, you're we're moving around New York City. But yeah. this is also the sequence that like starts to set the template for what Fosse's gonna do, which is like the the non-diegetic musical, the mm-hmm. musical numbers are the inner life. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Right? This is clearly taking place in its own reality. Right. Uh, even in a movie where except that people break into the song and dance. This is a fantasy sequence. And I think that's the number that serves her best as a musical performer. Sure. I think that plays to her strength. Yes. Yeah. I just, I found it very sweet. It was very touching. I don't know. It's, you fucking know that feeling. Right? Yeah. Oh, absolutely. It's a magical feeling. If there is like a, an arc to this movie, it is a, story about trying to convince yourself that you are lovable. Yeah, right. right. That you are worthy of being loved. Against... Right? Like, that is the right. battle. Yeah, against whatever internal, you know, handicaps you could give yourself. Oh, no one's ever going right. to love me because blah, blah, blah. We should t- at least touch upon the gender politics of it. Because, I mean, it's obviously a movie of its time, but watching it now, I mean, it's crazy. But sure. I, I understand where it's all coming from, but it really is like... Well, you mean that she's like, I'm not going to be a complete person until someone marries me. Oh, man. That, that, like, all of that stuff. He does acknowledge that it's a rude question. Yes. And she's like, no, 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 it's not a rude question. Like, you know, like, but it obviously you're like, Jesus. Um, like even but, the shot, that little insert shot of him looking the at the... T- like, all of that really didn't sit well with me. Yeah, it made it me sucks. feel gross. Yeah. It's a 50-year-old movie. No, I know. I know. I just felt like we should... Just mention, you know what I mean? Yes. Look, but I'll say this. I, I do think this is a movie that takes her side, that argues that she is lovable. Absolutely. The movie and, is on her and, side. And that he is weak for holding he that against her. You do watch a lot of films of this era where it, anyone who has slept with more than three people is coded as, like, but unsalvageable. The movie also knows, and you kind of know in the back of your head, like, right, he's not going to be able to deal of with course. this. Especially once... He says he's cool with it, and the whole group is like, great, and they do the whole birthday, the, the I love to cry at weddings uh, thing. Not birthday, what am I, wedding yeah, thing. Yeah. You know, where you just are me like, he doesn't like stubby. this. He yeah. doesn't want to hang out with Stubby K. Yeah, no, it's exactly. like, that, yeah. that's what I like about it, that even it's just like the, the weird, like, seediness of Stubby is a thing he yeah. like, you know? He's like too waspy for Stubby. Even putting aside the, like, promiscuity of the environment. Wait. Stubby's just a little too, yeah. He was also that actor. Stubby K was also in the uh, 1956 musical Lil Abner. Fuck, playing what? Uh, he played uh, Marion Sam. I find that Lil Abner was one of those comic strips that was just like this town and these people, and then also this like goop. There's a goop. Wasn't there a like, creature named like Smoo or something? Lil Abner. I swear to God, there's a creature named like Smoo. Um, I don't. And I think there's Smoo Junior. Uh, yes, uh, they're called Gobble Glops, uh, okay. and they eat rubbish, or as they call it, glop. They cannot be touched. They are living incinerators. Waste goes in, and nothing comes out. That is insane. What the hell? There's right. oh, there's schmoos as well. There's lots of the schmoos are the ones I was thinking. Yeah, the schmoo is this thing. Yeah, they look like goop. Yeah, they funny. look like uh, stubby kale. Yeah, well, I'm not really in in, in touch with any of that, um, but that's cool. You don't fuck with schmoos. No, I don't fuck with schmooze. But not, not, not that there's anything wrong with them. Yeah, please. Let's, let's try to approach this with a modern mindset, David. Um, look, Oscar turns her down. He can't do it, right? 
She walks. She's wearing this gorgeous dress with daisies on it. It's yes. so cute. Yeah. Uh, she walks sadly through Central Park, mm-hmm. and a bunch of hippies kind of, you know, including including little Bud Court. Oh, is that true? This is maybe his first movie. I, I mean, that would he can't have been that old. There's a close-up shot of him. I don't even know if he gets a line. Um, Sweet a Charity. Shot. It's his second. Well, he played a student in Up the Down Staircase the year before. He's uncredited in this as well, but this okay. is his second role. Yeah, but he gets he, there is there is a close up. You can you can see him with the classic uh, glasses. And one year later, he is Brewster McLeod. And uh, and he's in Mash. Why do I always yeah. forget his character? Because he's not Raider O'Reilly. He's Boone in, in Mash. Yeah, Lorenzo Boone. Um, but yeah, little Bud Court. You know Bud Court. You know Harold and Maude. Yeah, sure. Um, you saw yeah. Bruce McLeod too. Oh, I've seen it. You did. We went to see it together. Yeah, we saw it with my dad, and the two of you went. "Eh, That makes a lot of sense. Yeah, I guess I'm real good. And your dad was like, "That movie's weird." (laughs) (laughs) And you were like, "Yeah, it's like this movie we saw together where we were." And he's like, "Yeah, I know. It's just weird." I was like, "I grew up with you telling me it's one of your favorite movies of all time," and he was like, "I know. Is that fucking weird?" Um. But uh, what do you think of these hippies, Ben? I just, I just, you know, I was just watching, and I was like, I was very into the moment, and while also being like, God. Must have been annoying in the sixties. These flower children just walking around with guitars, yeah. handing people right. daffodils and shit. To be honest, I was too in my feels to really like yeah. get caught up well, on you're the hippies. Now. I am kind of a sap now. Yeah. It's true. It's really happened with age. Join the club. Um, I've joined the club, but yeah. just at the end there, I'm like, life is just so fucking hard sometimes. Yeah. But you you get through it, right? It's a new day. The sun comes up, and you just got to keep walking. Yeah. Yeah. Man. It's so profound, but so simple. It's, I don't know. Look, it's fucking... It's I a, cried like a baby. It's a thing that almost always works for me in moments. It's like the fucking Ursula giving Peter Parker the cake moment. Where you're just like, just one isolated act of kindness from a stranger who owes you nothing. And you Ursula's. just go like, fuck, yeah, no, I'm going to do. I'm gonna live another day. Ursula's a babe. Ursula rules. We'll have talked about her for four and a half hours. I hope by we do. Point. No, yeah. not four and a half hours, though. No. We're doing a main feed bonus Ursula episode. Great, sure. That's what we'll do. Um, yeah, no, it's a lovely ending. I love the ending. It makes me very, you know, yeah, it's, yeah. it's perfect. Yeah, it is. It's as it should be, I think. Obviously, it would be insane for there to be a happy ending, but, like, I just, like, it. it's also not too miserable. No. She is kind of... Bossy brown face? Mm, maybe. She was notoriously bossy. Shirley MacLaine? Yeah. Fair enough. I love her in uh, terms of endearment. Very bossy in that. Well, yes. But I'm, I'm saying, I, look, still is. She's still with us. But the, uh, no, there were all the stories where everyone who worked with her was like, that's like the the toughest person I've ever worked with. Cool. Don Siegel did I'm fuck scared it. of her. Yeah, truly. Like, I find that quote. There was a Don Siegel quote that is unbelievable it. about Shirley MacLaine. I'll find it, I'm and then we'll play with the Sarah. box office game. Uh, Two Meals for Sister Sarah, indeed, is the movie. Uh, I don't know what this quote is, though. I'm going to find it. You pull up the box office game. I'm going to find it. I pulled it up. Okay. We're ready to go. Here we go. Okay. I think this is what you mean. It's hard to feel any great warmth to her. She's too unfeminine and has too many balls. Too much balls. She's very, very hard. Is that the quote you mean? Yeah. It's on her Wiki- it's on his Wikipedia. Yeah, I think that's the one. He thought she had big balls. She had big ass balls. Um this film opened in April 1969. Okay. Nice. Uh and it actually opened to number six at the box office. Okay. So it's not in our top five, but it is, yeah. you know, it is opening big ish. Sure. Rojo. Right. But number yeah. one is a Disney family comedy. 
Live action? Live action. Hmm. Is it a Fred McMurray? Nope. It's not. Is it Apple Dumpling King? Nope. Hmm. Is it a Herbie? That's right. Is it the original? Yeah, what's that called? The Love Bug? The Just Love called bug. The Love Bug, right? Yeah. Dean Jones. Dean Jones. That's the you go you gotta go through it. You're like, is it a Tim Conway? Is it a Fred McMurray? Right. Is there it a Dean Jones? Is it a Don Knotts? Yeah, Don Knotts, I guess um, what's his right. pants? Uh, Kurt Russell eventually. Yeah. Um yeah, yeah. Herbie, the love bug. I've never seen it. And you know what? Maybe I have seen this. I've one. definitely, I definitely you ever seen it? saw no. all of these as a kid. Disney Channel used to have so few movies in rotation. I definitely saw all of them. Just Herbie goes to Monte Carlo, Herbie in Love. Yeah. I, I have seen all of them. It's a talking. Uh, Herbie rides again. He doesn't talk, Herbie goes but bananas. He's magical. Right, right. Uh, they redid the love bug, of course, in this 90s with uh, Bruce Campbell, of all people. Right. And then, of course, they did Herbie Fully Loaded right. in uh, 2000s with Lindsay Lohan. And Her- Herbie Keaton. goes to Monte Carlo and Herbie mm-hmm. in Love do exist, right? I didn't make up those I'm titles. not seeing Herbie in Love. I'm seeing that he went to Harvey. Mon- Sorry, he wrote again, of course. Of course. Then he went to Monte Carlo, as we yeah. all do. And then he went bananas. He must fall uh, in love I think that might be I remember a movie where he, he flirts with a female car. But he doesn't talk. He's just a car that's like imbued with like some spirit. Doctor He's got Strange a little rides again. Doctor Strange goes to Monte Carlo. Doctor Strange goes banana. I think it's just a good, you could put it to great. anything. It's a yeah. good four. Yes, I agree. <laughs> right? Yeah. Batman goes to Monte Carlo. Of course. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Right. Batman goes loaded. bananas. Yes, 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 yes. World yes. War goes to Monte Carlo. <laughs> yeah. World oh, War goes banana. <laughs> uh, the Love Bug, a huge hit. It's humongous. Starring, Clearly a fucking franchise. Starring Dean Jones, who I, I best known as, you know, uh, the original Bobby in Company. Of course. Uh, he's on the Broadway cast album, even though uh, he quit the role almost immediately because he was like, this is too, like, you know, too dark, too, really? too wow. sexy. Yep. Uh, we're going to do a Herbie on Patreon. No, we're not. Yep, uh, nope. That's mm-hmm. a no from me. No. Okay. Yes. Uh, number two is another musical. Um, that's, is it Hello Dolly? No, but that's okay. the correct star. Mm, is it Funny Lady? No. Fuck. Is it. On a clear day, you can see. Forever. No, it's funny, girl. Oh, oh. Okay. In its twenty eighth week, it's just eaten. Wow. I guess Barbara Streisand probably has just won an Oscar. This is April sixty nine. Sure, because it was a sixty eight movie. So wow. Okay. Hello, beautiful. That's what she said to the oh, Oscar. Beautiful. Yeah. Um, funny girl. Mm-hmm. Barbara Streisand. Yeah. Omar Sharif. Yeah. It's a William Wyler film. Yeah. There you go. One of the rare musicals to get a theatrical sequel. Like a weird thing. That's true. Very weird to get her fan. Yeah, yeah. Uh, and of course, Babs tied with Catherine Hepburn that year. Very right. strange. Right. Very strange. Um, number three at the box office is a war film. Imagine how nervous you would feel. Because in my memory, they like go like, it's a tie, and they announce one of them, and then they let him give the speech, and then they announce the other one. I can't imagine that's what they did. They must I have feel like that's both. how it played out. Because if you're like one of five, and then they announce the winner, but they tell you someone else is one, and you're like, now I have a one in four shot? I don't know. Yeah, no, it's fair. My memory is they, they stagger it. I'm going to watch it right now. There they are, the best actresses of 1968. Ingrid Bergman. Catherine I was Hathen going to get. In the line in winter, Patricia Neal, for the subject was Roses. God, I wish Vanessa Ingrid Bergman Redgrave, could say my name Lisa like this. Gretchen Norman, Blank Jack of Gretchen and Norman. Barbara Streisand holding Elliot Gould's hand. Rachel, Rachel. Hot. Elliot, yeah, it was pretty hot. Yeah. Elliot Gould looking... Insane. The photo of them in the fucking spot. Well, it's, it's a tie. Who? 
Gasp. Ingrid Bergman, I want to say, looks genuinely charmed and surprised by this. I'm going to show you her reaction. This is the first time this ever happened. Right? Certainly in a major category. Yeah. It's the only time it's ever happened, yeah. really. Wow. She's holding her chest. Okay. 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 Wow. Yeah. Wild, right? So Babs gets on stage first. Yeah. And does Did Hepburn they, just wait for her to finish? Or is Hepburn not there? I'm or not, do they just say it at the same time? Do they both just make a speech <laughs> they, simultaneously? They yell at each other. It looks, this clip is only of her speech. I don't know if Hepburn okay. was, maybe okay. Hepburn wasn't even there. Maybe Hepburn wasn't I don't know. Yeah. Number three at the box office is a war film. Mm-hmm. Uh, two huge stars. Two huge stars in a war film. This is not a famous movie. It's not a famous movie. Is one of them John Wayne? No, it, or you know, it's a famous movie. But I'm saying like this. I don't think this film is considered a classic. But its title is like the kind of title people would know uh, for something like heroic sounding. I don't know. Fuck, it's hard to describe. I don't think you're gonna get it. Is Eastwood one of the two stars? Yes. Is it Where Eagles Dare? It's Where Eagles Dare. Okay. There you go. It's a good the other title. Star? It's a good title. <sighs> Fuck the other star. Where Eagles Dare is. I I'm totally blanking. A famous Welshman. A f- famous. Well, is it Connery? No, Connery's Scottish. Scott. What, what the fuck am I talking Richard about? Burton. Oh, okay. If I say famous Welshman, it's two people. Richard Burton or Anthony Hopkins, probably. Those are the two fam- oh, famous okay. Welshmen. Um, yep. Where Eagles Dare. Never seen. How would you know that? Though? Uh, has a fight on top of a cable car. Mm. Yeah, sounds exciting. One of those movies I just probably will never see in my life. Probably not. Probably right. not going to get to it. <laughs> no it's 155 minutes. Yeah, I'm like, sorry Long. to this man, but I don't think I'm ever going to watch this. Number four at the box office. Yeah, okay. Is another musical. Mm-hmm. One that we forgot to mention in oh. discussion of late 60s musicals. It won Best Picture the prior year. Oliver. Oliver! Exclamation point. Yeah. You ever seen that? No. No? It's about little ragamuffins who Scam. steal. Pickpockets. You've got oh, to pick a pocket or two. You know they have a song about pickpocketing. Have and you never seen Oliver? I've never four? seen any musicals. And the whole I know who fucking Oliver Twist. Is. About You've heard of Oliver Twist. Oh, yes, sure. You know this guy, right? Yeah, of course. Yeah. Uh, Chimney sweep. No, he's no, a he's pickpocket. Not. Oh. <laughs> ben just reacted like we were throwing things at. Like he recoiled physically as if we had chucked a tomato at his head. Uh, no, he's Oliver Twist. He's a little pickpocket. He's a pickpocket. He's an orphan who That's gets the whole thing. sucked in by a boy called the Artful Dodger. He gets taken oh, in wow. by other pickpockets. Okay. I mean, this is all bacon. this is all connecting strands here for me. But I, I don't know. Yourself. I don't know. Ah. Um, it's a great show, and it's a good movie, but it's it's Carol Reed, obviously yeah. master, but it's like, you know, kind of one of those late 60s. It's fine. a weird best I picture I think it's winner. fine. It's one of those best picture winners where, it, right, isn't it? The 68 Oscars is, um, now I have to look it up, but uh, it's... It, it's the most conventional winner. It's the most conventional winner, and isn't that right. Bunny and Clyde year and stuff? I have to look this up. Uh, is that... Con City SL? Or is it 69? I can't remember. I think it's 69. Because it, uh, fucking Dr. Doolittle's in the Bonnie and Clyde year. Am I wrong about that? You are correct. Yeah, yeah. So, right. Yeah, right. It's actually a much more boring lineup. It's yeah, okay. Romeo and Juliet, Rachel, Rachel. Good movie. Uh, Lion in Winter and Funny Girl. So, yeah, okay. So that's like a pretty... That's it's a, a consensus yeah, winner. Yeah, 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 yeah. All right. Number five of the box office is... Well, I just mentioned it. Hmm. It was in the Best Picture Night. It's a drama. Is it Lion in Winter? The Lion in Winter. Huge box office success. It was. I mean, Kids it's a movie that is. I've seen it, and yeah. I love British history. Sure. You know, not the fastest moving movie I've ever seen. 
uh, you know, it's just one of those things where you're just watching Peter O'Toole and Catherine Hepburn. You know, go for it. And Anthony Hopkins is really good in it too. You sure. Know? sure. Like it's 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 just acting. I've got a beard and a big robe with acting fur on it. Movie. I'm yeah. the king. Yeah. And she's like, yes, and I'm Eleanor of Aquita. I don't know what she does. Sure. Uh, you know, they're getting old. One of those it's one of the many movies about Catherine Hepburn getting old that she just sort of kept doing. Right. Well, they're lions in winter, one could say. That's what they are. Sure. Uh, the Lion, and have you ever seen it? No. I've never seen it. Anthony Harvey film. Uh, so number six is Sweet Charity. Wow. Number seven is a film called The Killing of Sister George, mm-hmm. uh, which is a black comedy from Robert Aldrich. Aldrich? Uh-huh. Aldrich. Sure. Starring Beryl Reed and Susanna York. It's a stage play that's being... That was marketed on stage as a comedy, but is being marketed as a film as a shocking drama and added explicit lesbian content and was presented as a serious treatment of lesbianism. Wait a This was like an early film to acknowledge that girls might kiss. And they kiss in the movie? Oh, what, what's, the, what's the name of this title? Um, I, don't, I don't know. It had an X rating because of a graphic sex scene. I'm Wikipedia. How graphic was this sex scene? What are we talking about here? Yes. Uh, I don't know, um, but um, but yeah, that yeah was, it movie, was a controversial film. This movie is seen as a flop, and people go, eh, maybe Fosse, another in a long line of people who don't make the transition. Um, Worked really well on one medium. I guess he's not a picture director. I guess it has nudity. All right. It was a big shocking scene. Sorry, I'm stuck on okay, this. Truly, Killing what, of Sister remind George. me what the name of this movie is. <laughs> the Killing of Sister George. Okay, thank you. Uh, there's also a film called 100 Rifles, Okay, a Western. Mm-hmm. With Raquel Welch and Jim Brown. Yep. Oh, it's got a good tagline. Fuck. This picture has a message. Colon, watch out. Shit. They got 100 rifles, I guess. Yeah. Uh, also, Romeo and Juliet. The, um, That's a Ferrelli movie. Correct. And Charlie, the Cliff Robertson oh, movie. Oh, so he wins Best Actor this year? He wins Best Actor this yeah. year playing, okay. you know, sort of Flowers for Aldrin and guy, yes. guy who yes. gets super smart. Yes. Right? That's what it's about, right? I've yeah. never seen it. Yeah, yes, yes. I've only seen the Simpsons episode that's a parody of it, where Homer right. gets super smart. And uh, it's a porn legacy, which is a remake of it. Yes, exactly. Give me my chems. Uh, I need my chems. Limitless, yeah. that's another one. What's it? There was, I feel like 10 years ago, Will Smith announced he was going to remake Charlie, and it was such a clear, like, Will, don't do this. Yeah, Will, that's better. You don't want to play, like, a simple person who gets right, smart. Who gets so smart. Because the thing with Limitless is, like, he's starting regular and then gets smart. Yeah, Limitless. right. Like you know, in Charlie, it's supposed to be like, oh, he's someone with like low IQ who right. gets smart. Limitless, he's just a mess. Yeah. Yes. Um, now, Ben, I don't know if you know this, uh, but uh, Bob Fosse's next movie after this is called Cabaret. Mm. I might have mistakenly said it was a Best Picture winner earlier. What I meant to say is that Fosse won the Oscar for it. He won Best Director for the movie Cabaret, his second film. Do you know what he beat? At the Oscars that year for Best Director. We're going to talk about this. I just want to tee this up now, because, Ben, I assume you're about to watch Cabaret for the first time. Have you never seen Cabaret? I um, have never seen Cabaret. Wow. Okay. Shocking. Okay. Ben, I just want to take a guess as to what you think. What year it was? was 1972. It? My right? wife is home. brag. David's wife is home. Okay. Bob Fosse wins Best Director at the Academy Awards for directing Cabaret, and he beats... Francis Ford Coppola for The Godfather. Wow. I just want to speak to what an accomplishment. Yeah. 
that movie, what a triumph it is seen as, because The Godfather is like the highest grossing movie of the year. True. It's the most fucking beloved movie. It wins Best Picture. It's a cultural revolution. And everyone's like, we have to give the fucking Oscar to Bob Fosse, though. This guy just like changed the game. Yeah. It, it, it's just, it, it's, we'll a, talk about it's a big fucking deal. Yeah. That like his accomplishment there was on that level. For a guy whose first movie is like, well, what can I say? He lost the plot. That's really wild. Yeah. You know, when people talk about, like, good directing in movies, they usually say, like, Francis Ford Coppola in The Godfather. Well, sure. It's just, like, the ubiquitous yes. best movie of all time. Right. Like, well, what a perfectly directed film. Yeah. But Cabaret also had a huge impact, too. Huge. Huge. Yes. And, and you'll see. It, it's, you'll it, see. It changes the it's way great. people think you can make a movie musical in cool. many regards. Cool. Yeah. Yeah. Cabaret. Excited. I'm excited to do that. I'm, so, I'm excited to slither through the Fosse filmography. Sure. Have you seen none of these films coming up in? No. Oh God, I, I mean, Cabaret is the only one I would have thought maybe Ben I saw. Just I, I think you're, I think you're going to love all these. And I think all that jazz is going like, to blow your mind. Yeah. All that jazz belongs in the pantheon of the biggest blank checks we have ever covered. Why? Just because more than just budget? It's... Well, I guess we'll get into it. That's that's a big hype, but I mean, it is the best. I love it to death. So maybe you're right. I don't it know. was so over budget that the studio was going to shut it down, and a different studio was like, "God damn it, we'll buy it from yeah, you," right, and right, they right, like right. took it over. Wow. It was like, yeah, but but also it's it's a guy making a movie about how much he sucks and how he's dying. It's like Bob Fosse eulogizing himself. All right, all right. Anyway, all right, all right. we'll get to it. Come on, we're, yeah. we're talking about other movies here. We're, hey, we're sweet charity. I'm just trying to tee people up because I yes. want people to be excited. They should be excited. Yeah. And we're going to do Liza with a Z on Patreon. Liza with a Z on we'll, Patreon. And that, that's probably all we'll do, right? Yeah. There was brief discussion of doing a Lenny special, but we don't need to do that. I don't think that's going to happen. No. Uh, but Liza with a Z will happen. He becomes the first person to win a Tony, Oscar, and Emmy in the same year. For Liza with a Z, Pippin and Cabaret. Did he win a Grammy though? Don't know if he ever won so a Grammy. Yeah. Look it up while I do the wrap up of the show. Please. Thank you all for listening. Please remember to rate, review, and subscribe. Thank you to Marie Barty for our social media and helping to produce the show. Thank you to JJ Birch for compressing 42 years of a man's life into 17 pages of a dossier. Uh, thank you to AJ McKee and Alex Barron for our editing, Lee Montgomery, the Great American Novel, for our theme song, Pat Reynolds and Joe Bowen for our artwork. You can go to patreon.com slash blank check for blank check special features where we are covering the Batman movies we haven't covered before and also doing a little Liza with a Z. True. As we said, go to blankcheckpod.com for links to a bunch of other real nerdy shit. And mm-hmm. as always, the answer to the question is... He never won a Grammy, much like his fellow Eots. Al Pacino, mm-hmm. Christopher Plummer, mm-hmm. Maggie Smith, yeah. Jessica Tandy. Mm-hmm. Very, they're various. We never got that good. And there's another thing all those people have in common. What's that? Never made it to Harold Knight. Never made a Lloyd team. <laughs> <laughs>